Well, hello, all you sports fans out there in the fandom community. We are here to uh, put a put a bow on what has been one of my favorite uh, topics that I've talked about this year uh, on fan on fandom correspondence on fandom talk, uh, the NBA. And as you know, if you're talking about the NBA, you're dealing with the YSA, Josh Hardesty. And we also have today, as as he has been all year long, our favorite uh, NBA correspondent, uh, probably a guy that needs to be picked up by ESPN or CBS Sports or whichever. Well, what 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 is your what is your favorite? I've never asked that, Chase. What what is your go to sports like network or go to sports uh, uh, news uh, news affiliate? What, what what's your go to on that? Hey, yeah. Um... I used to be a really, really big ESPN person, but at this point, uh, a lot of my NBA content, I still get Zach Lowe through ESPN, but most of it's through the ringer. Uh, so if I had like a dream scenario, I'd probably probably be doing something with them. Yeah, I, I uh, anyway, forgive me, too, I just kind of interject that, but obviously we have Chase Carrico with us, uh, NBA fan extraordinaire, uh, you know, uh, the the only person uh, in on in this on this planet that I would say has as much, uh, it, almost as much knowledge about the NBA as me. I think that's fair. No, I'm just kidding, Chase. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think the ringer would be uh, really, really interesting for you. I, I can see you and, uh, and uh, Kevin O'Connor going back and forth, you know, and you tell them how stupid the Pelicans are and stuff like that. I think that'd be fun. Uh, so yeah. Um, Chase, we're at the end of a really interesting season. Uh, has this been, I, I'll ask this real quick. Uh, just real quick opinion. Is this the most interesting season we've had in like the past, you know, say, in, I mean, in, in recent memory? I'd be hesitant to um, qualify it as the most interesting because I think we've had several that have been quite interesting. But it's definitely had some interesting wrinkles. Uh, it's been, particularly the Western Conference just feels so incredibly wide open. We've had big trades, um, big storylines with individual players. There's uh, been quite a bit to keep up with. Um, yeah, I, I think the NBA is just a good product pretty much every year, so I think it's just par for the course. It's been good. It does kind of remind me of 2010-2011, just a little bit, where particularly with the with the Western Conference, which was the – that was the – uh, Dallas, you know, sweeping the Lakers out of the playoffs. And that was, you know, Memphis, uh, you know, and the Spurs going at it and, this, you know, and, and stuff like that. With those kind of teams where it was just like one through eight, there wasn't a there wasn't a strong case for any of them. Uh, and uh, and you've also had some interesting turnover and turmoil, you know, with the situations of Kevin Durant, with situations of Kyrie Irving. Even some like the situation with Ben Simmons, which I don't think me or you thought, you know, were, were really huge on Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons's abilities to produce uh, at a all-star level for a team. But there were, you know, there's been a, you know, there was a team relying on him to do so. And uh, just just a lot of upheaval uh, in, in that instance. And also a lot of fun, in my opinion, because you had, you know, I mean, just something like the Kings, you know, who I know we're, we're going to talk about, I, I have a lot of opinions on. Uh, the Kings were just so much fun this year, and seeing someone like De'Aaron Fox just turn into a star overnight, or Shea Gilgis-Alexander turn into a star overnight, um, 
uh, seemingly overnight. Uh, I know me and you have been on those bandwagons for a while, I think. Uh, but but seemingly turning into going from, wow, a really good player to, oh, they could lead a team to a championship at some point. Uh, you had a lot of that this season. So I, I do feel like uh, if it's not the most interesting season, it's probably one of the most fun um, that I've had in a while. And that's saying something because I'm a Laker fan and Lakers – Laker fans are, you know, we're, we're on the we're on the precipice of uh, cardiac arrest a lot this season. Um, so, you know, uh, but for me, a lot of fun. Um, Chase, I want to ask a question for you, and and, and and you know, you know me, uh, you know me in NBA history. Okay, you know, I, I spend way too much time thinking about NBA history and talking about NBA history and uh, boring people with NBA history. But I do think something historical happened. Before we talk about the playoffs, uh, something historical happened in the sense of a team that was going to be in the playoffs pretty squarely and then fell out of the playoffs in in a matter of weeks, just free-falled from we're in the playoffs to, oh, we really hope we get a good draft pick within seemingly a matter of about three or four weeks. And, that, and I, the team I'm talking about, of course, is Dallas Mavericks. And I went back, and so... Chase, uh, real quick, do you would you consider do you have Doncic uh, in your first or second All NBA teams this year? He is definitely not going to be first. I think he probably will end up being second, if not second for sure, third. Um, but I think, like you alluded to, the stuff that went on, um, regardless of how much of it was in his control, if he's going to be on my first team his team needs to respond and be a little bit better by the end of the season. So probably second team for me, not first. Yeah, I um, I don't disagree. I think almost, uh, of course, you know, Bill Simmons, I think, just straight up left him off. Um, and so, you know, I, and I wonder how many people are going to have that response um, because there was seemingly a little bit of a backlash against Luka this year. You know, last year uh, we really – it seemed like everybody really enjoyed watching him just, you know, dominate the Suns the way he did. And, um, you know, really, it seemed like we were watching somebody turn into, you know, I mean, the next the next great. I mean, the next, like, okay, this guy's going to be a top 20 player. And then by the end of this year, it's like, well, he's still putting up the numbers of a guy who could be top 20 all time. But his team is so bad. Um, part of that, of course, is that, you know, you trade for someone who kills a team quicker than anyone that I know of Kyrie Irving. Um, you have, you, you of all people have some extreme experience in that. Um, but yeah, there, I think that is part of it, but historically with Luca, someone that's this good, someone that is going to be on more than likely is, was going to be on MVP ballots more than likely is going to be a first, second team, all NBA to not make the playoffs. I don't think people really understand how rare that is. So I did. So, so I did the digging, Chase, and provided that somebody doesn't tell me different. The last time a person in the first or second NBA team, or really the person in a first, second, or third NBA team, um, did not make the playoffs was 2006, 2007, and that was Kevin Garnett. He made the second team that year, and then before that, you've got to go all the way back to 1992 when Charles Barkley, that weird Sixers team. Um, that, you know, Barkley was screaming about trying to get traded off of and uh, admittedly said he was drunk most of the games and stuff like that. That weird Sixers team that did not make the playoffs, uh, he made the second team that year. And so in the span of like almost, you know, almost 30 years, uh, actually over 30 years, 
you've had that happen really twice where a guy who is a consensus top 10 player does not make the playoffs at all. That is historically weird. That is a historical anomaly and let you yet you've had it happen with Luca. So I want to ask you, Chase, like what, you know, just, I, I know you're not totally prepared to give this. I'm kind of springing it on you, but like, what, what do you see? You know, what, what, what path do you see for Luca and the Dallas Mavericks uh, going forward? Well, um, I'll start by this is just the first thing that popped into my head, and it's just a, a strange thing that doesn't take away from how weird this scenario is. But you talking about a player that's going to be on a first or second team All-NBA, might even be top five in MVP voting, although I don't think Luka will be anymore. I think that situation's happening twice this year, and it is kind of interesting to me that I believe maybe it's just the trajectories of these two players but um, they they have very similar things going on with them, and I think they're viewed in very different lights. Uh, I, I, of course, love Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and his team was the 10 seed. They were like one game ahead of the Mavericks in the standings. They barely made it into the playoffs, or the play-in themselves. Um, and despite winning a game, they are not in the playoffs either. So um, kind of interesting. Like I said, we view them in different lights because I think everybody, Shea is just like, the the golden wonder child right now because of how um a lot of people didn't expect him to have this good of a season but going back to luca um it's one of those i want to almost compare it to lebron james in that at what point do we start blaming him for things that could seemingly not be in the control of some players but might be in his uh, we know, of course, Dallas listens to everything that Luca says. Dallas should, and I believe does, include Luca in on any kind of conversation that they're having about the team. I'm certain that they had Luca approve the Kyrie Irving trade. Um, so, like, I think he played outstandingly um, as far as his play goes, but that team is just not very good. You look at it, and then, I mean, I didn't expect them to drop all the way out of the play-in, but that Kyrie Irving trade, like, what happened was almost the best-case scenario based on how that went. So I don't know how much you want to blame Mark Cuban on that. I don't know how much you want to blame Luca. But that trade, like, that's just organizational malpractice. I don't know who's trading a first-round pick for Kyrie Irving regardless, let alone adding in, like, arguably your second and third best players. It just takes away all your depth. It ruined that defense that wasn't even all that good to start with. Uh, it was really easy to see that they were going to be shallow and poor on defense after that trade. Um, and then there's room for stuff to be even worse. Like Kyrie might play poorly. Kyrie might miss games. Kyrie might cause some problems in the locker room. And he actually played really well as far as what you can expect for him. He played most of the games for them. Things just went awfully and in a real big hurry. So uh, it, it's an odd situation to even think about with Luca in this because there's not too much on the court that I blame him for. He's not the defensive presence that you get out of a guy like Giannis or Embiid who are definitely going to be in the MVP voting. He's even not the defensive presence that Jokic is. Jokic is at least average to a little above average and Luca's not quite that but what he did on the offensive side of the court was incredible. I think it was mostly what was around him, but it's definitely of a, a negative mark on his resume right now. 
Yeah, I, I, I will say this about Luca when it comes to defense <clears throat> and him not being a presence. Um, he's he's almost catastrophically bad uh, defensively, I think. Um, um, part of it is his effort is just straight up not there. And when you look at a guy who we might consider to be on a short list of players who, once again, I think could be top 20 players all time. So if you look at that list of top 20 players of all time, there's not a single player on that list that is an um, that is an abomination on defense or even a negative on defense. And so with Luca, one of the things I do think if 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 he cares about his standing historically, uh, which also might not be a thing, he famously told you know a reporter this year that he he's not going to break LeBron's scoring record because he doesn't want to play that long. And fair enough, that's perfectly fine. But for us who look at this thing historically, I don't know how you can place somebody in the top 20 and top 15 who just doesn't seem to care about defense. And if you want to look at a place where he could have really changed his game, or not really changed his game, but changed his attitude up, when when your boy DFS, Dorian Finney-Smith, gets traded and they lose their best defensive player, there maybe he doesn't have the ability to be like, okay, well, I need to step up on defense. Maybe he just doesn't have that ability, but he needs to show more effort on that end. The thing about Jokic is, is like Jokic might not be a good defender. I mean, he's there's some stats that he's really good, some stats that he's really bad. Um, I know sometimes you can turn him into a layup line, uh, but the thing about Jokic is he tries to be in the right positions when he's playing defense. There's times where Luca is just like, uh, guy gets me, guy beats me. Okay, well, let me just see if I can beat him back on the other side of the court. That's a problem moving forward um, because it, it means you have to build a team in a certain way that, once again, historically, hardly ever wins. There's a reason that the James Hardens and the George Gervins of the world don't have championships. You know, there's a reason that they don't have titles. Um, and it's because. Those guys, you, if you're going to be a leader of a team, you have to be a leader on both sides of the floor. And if you're, if you don't have the ability to do that, you tend to be a guy who's well, you know, might might make some conference finals, but you know, you're probably not going to go much further than that. Um, there's probably exceptions to that that I can't think of, but I'm thinking like even someone like Dirk. You know, Dirk was a fantastic defensive rebounder. Dirk was a great great at boxing out and getting boards. Uh, might not be a rim protector, you know, but once again, he tried. Um, so I, I, I am, you know, I, I'm still a Luka fan. I really want to see Luka do well. I think I think it's in the interest of the NBA. If you're a fan of basketball, you want to see him do well because he's such a different and special kind of player. But I do think there are things that he has to do um, that uh, that he has to change up about himself if he's going to be mentioned in that special echelon of players down the road. Um, I do want to go back to Kyrie real quick. So with Dallas, okay, so Dallas now, okay, there's a good chance they lose Kyrie in the offseason. Um, so what what is the, do you have, can you think of a plan moving forward for Dallas? I mean, just for what they should do? Well, there are two different ways to think about it because I I definitely have no idea what they think they should do because I I don't agree with what they've been doing. But what I think they should do is 
incredibly difficult. I've talked to you about um, they've got Davis Bertans as kind of a, a contract that's stuck on their salary cap and they're not able to get rid of it for another at least one more year, if not two. Um, so they're already kind of in a little bit of a pinch that way. Of course, if you lose Kyrie, that does at least open up one big salary spot that you can sign a player to. But then the other issue is, who is that player? There are not that many players that come on the open market anymore. It seems like most of the good ones either are re-signing with their team or they're demanding a trade and they're never even hitting free agency, really. So I don't know. I mean, you ha- obviously, there's just the biggest hole on defense. They They really don't have a center. I don't understand that. I heard someone the other day say, instead of making the Kyrie Irving trade, they should have just acquired uh, Jakob Pertl. And I don't hate that. That would change a lot of what that team looks like. But they don't really have a center. They definitely don't have a center that can consistently play defense. Pertl would be able to do that. I don't know if that changes the way they play basketball too much, but that's at least somebody who was available. He was on the market and did get traded to the Raptors, which I'm not going to talk about that other than the fact that that didn't make sense to me either. Uh, But... Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm looking for. Get somebody on defense, and then ideally you would like another secondary ball creator. So Irving was able to fill one of those things, but not both. Someone like Pirtle could fill the other thing, but not the first thing. So I don't know what player it is, but that's what I'm looking for is just do not make any of these horrendous moves. Do not send any more of the little draft capital that you have left. You need to hope that you eventually draft somebody that can do something if you're not able to find someone in free agency and in free agency, you have to make sure you're not throwing ridiculous money at somebody that is far from a sure thing, which again, is not easy to do, but that that's what I'm doing. Do you have anything to add to that or anything like totally different or a player you have in mind? I'm going to throw two names at you. One is who you're going to hate to hear this. I think there's going to be a big market for your boy Jalen. I think. And as far as a player who changes who who can who can change the the tenor of a team, I think he's one of them. Um now of course you had the big thing with Windhorst on Bill Simmons where he said if he makes all NBA this year, there's no way that they're gonna let him go. And I agree with that. There's no reason there's no reason to let him go in general, in my opinion. Um unless he just doesn't want to be in Boston anymore. Um, the other player that I think like that I think is the one that's the most likely that is looking at this situation and going, well, where can I where where can I a get overpaid and b have the most impact is Draymond Green. Like, because Draymond solves a lot of their problems, right? I mean, he's I mean he's a picking he's 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 a master pick and roll guy. Um, he's another, he's another creator, uh, on, you know, I mean, not in the sense of like a ball handler, but like, as far as his passing and stuff from the top of the key and things like that go. Um, and he's a defensive presence that does not need the ball in his hand. So like he solves a lot of their problems, right? I mean, am, am I just crazy on that case? I actually think both of those names you said make a whole bunch of sense. Of course, I would be devastated if Jalen Brown left the Celtics. He's my favorite player on the Celtics. He's not the best one. Tatum's definitely better. But I, I just, I love Jalen Brown. He feels kind of like that homegrown talent. He was a pick that a lot of people didn't think makes sense, but has really blossomed into, if he's not an all-NBA player, he is super close. I mean, he's one of the, 
I think 20 is generally around the number that I would go to. He's around the 20th best player in the NBA. And when you compare somebody like Jason Tatum, who you'd like to think is a top five player with a top 20 player, that's fantastic. And you do everything you can not to lose that. But if he goes to Dallas, that's one of those where I think they're at least as good as they were last year when even if it was a little bit fluky, they did make the Western Conference Finals. He definitely improves their defense. I think sometimes I kind of feel like he's an overrated defender, but he's definitely a net positive. Uh, I think he's a pretty good on-ball defender, but he has his limitations, and he kind of gets lost off the ball sometimes. But he's way better than like pretty much anybody that they have defensively right now. He would fill that. Um, he, I, I certainly think he's a better offensive player than someone like Jalen Brunson, who, of course, that feels like a huge mistake that they let him go. So, I mean, I think Jalen Brown would make all sorts of sense. Um, and then Draymond would be really interesting. So he is he a free agent this upcoming year? As yeah, as far as I know, I mean that's the whole that was the whole Jordan Poole thing, right? <laughs> so like you know, Jordan Poole saying, well, you know, you're gonna they're not gonna pay you this year anyway. You know, that's one of the reasons why he got punched in the mouth. Uh, so yeah. I mean, he's he's a free he's a free agent. I mean, Brown is Brown's at he's is he is he's at least restricted, right? Or is he unrestricted just this year? Yeah, I I can look that up here in just a second to make sure, but um, I think he is coming up on some form of free agency, like we were yeah. saying. Because uh, I know he's eligible for the Supermax if he makes that All-NBA, which I kind of think he's going to, Case. It seems like the narrative is out there for it, especially. Um, it's kind of a, an odd one because he's listed as both guard and forward, so he's eligible at both. I don't think there's any way for him to make All-NBA guard. That's one of the weird things with Luka. Like, All-NBA guard this year is really strange because you've got a few players. I mean, I guess all of the All-NBA is strange because you've got some players um, in Damian Lillard and John Morant and Stephen Curry, and then you go to, like, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Like, But those three guards in particular who were absolutely playing All-NBA caliber basketball but did not play a whole bunch of games. Like, I think all of those players played less than 65, which is what's – coming up on being the minimum for these type of awards. So then that opens the door for some players. Like there's a real world where Luca did get entirely left off of all NBA. If players like Curry Lillard and jaw all stayed healthy and all played like 60, 70 games. Um, so Brown's not making that, but since he's eligible at forward, even though he's like kind of iffy, I guess he's like a two and a half. Um, it seems like it's very possible. He makes the second or third team there. Uh, and like you said, uh, he's going to get that contract if he does, and the Celtics should certainly offer it to him. Seems like it's between him and Markkinen for that third for that third spot. And I, as much as I love Laurie Markkinen uh, and, and love what he's done uh, this year, and is probably going to win Most Approved Player, um, I just think Jalen Brown has been. I mean, the thing about Jalen Brown is like he's putting up, he's basically putting up Paul George's best year this year. And I just don't know how you, how you don't reward that. You know, I mean, he's, he's the number two player on a team that was the best team in basketball for, you know, uh, close to two thirds of the season. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I think he has to be on there. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I'm looking at their salary cap right now. Of course, there's always stuff that can be very confusing, but I, it looks like he has some guaranteed money for next year. So I think it's the following year that he would become an unrestri unrestricted free agent if he doesn't sign an extension by the end of the season. Right. 
So I guess you can sign that extension in the Supermax. Either way, um, either way, uh, my of course, you know, I'm just going to throw it out there, you know, just because, you know, you got to have at least one hot take. My favorite, and it's not going to happen now because it looks like the Lakers are going to, you know, battle it out uh, with the Grizzlies and have a good shot at beating them now all of a sudden if Jaws out for a while. Uh, but my favorite, my favorite scenario was Luca for LeBron. LeBron gets Kyrie to stay in Dallas and grabs Draymond Green, and they just have the all, you know, the all insane uh, team in Dallas. That 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 was that was my favorite scenario. I don't think that's going to happen anymore. I think that's just uh, going out into the into the wind. Uh, so I will speak that into the void one last time, and just you know, uh, enjoy the fact that the Lakers are going to be a seven or eight seed for the rest of LeBron's career, probably. Yeah, fair enough. I know you were Jeff Bronny. I would assume. Yeah. I know you were hoping for that to happen. I still, I always thought it was unlikely, but it was um, a bizarro world thing. And you know, maybe I mean we've seen the Mavericks do weird things, so maybe it would have been on the table. But I don't love it. I do want to go back to uh, the Draymond Green thing. So uh, on two fronts, there, I did. Now that I've looked up their salary cap, that makes sense to me. He has a player option worth $27.5 for next year, so that's what it is. If he declines that player option, he's going to be a free agent. Um, I know things could be kind of strange for Golden State, but I mean, I I wonder with him if anybody's actually going to give him $27.5 million. That could, I mean, that sounds a little bit steep to me for any team that's not the Warriors. So I think that, uh, I don't know, that's interesting. But it seems like a lot of people believe that he was going to become a free agent. Uh, and if that's the case, that's another one of those that I could see the Mavericks mishandling. of. He's 33 years old. He's not the focal point of an offense. Um, his defense, I don't think, is going to last him forever, even though he was uh, statistically fantastic. We've talked about... Um, Neither one of us are super thrilled to give him too much praise based on punching a teammate and all of that stuff. But on the court, he was a very good basketball player, particularly on defense this year. And I think, I mean, he would be probably good Draymond Green's, like the best player that I think the Mavericks could go out and get. But what if they, like, they might be thinking, okay, let's go out and sign him to some, like, three- or four-year deal. So, like, if they do, like, a four-year deal worth $120 million to Draymond Green, I could see them doing that, and that would just be horrendous also. Like, that maybe makes them good for another year or two. Maybe it buys them more time with Luka, but I think that's another move that would be potentially a negative two or three years from now. But uh, everything you said, I mean, he doesn't add a whole bunch to their scoring but sometimes a player that is capable of scoring well at the NBA level is a lot easier. Like you can find somebody who can put up 18 points a game a lot more easily than you can find somebody who can play all NBA level defense. So he would be a really difficult type of player to find that would absolutely be available. And he, he fixes a lot of their defensive issues at least. I'm going to tell you, and then we're going to get into the playoffs. I'm going to see if you agree with all three of these things. There are three options here. The first one you always agree with because you just mentioned an option. One, he cashed in that player option. I only think that happens if Golden State makes this second round. Is that fair? Well, I, I'm just confused. It depends on his intentions and his relationship with the team. Because, Like I said, I, I don't really think he's worth that contract to another team because he just does everything that Golden State needs so much. Like, I mean, 
the Celtics wouldn't be in the position to offer it, but I would be really nervous about a team that I've rooted for giving him $28 million. So if he's in it for the money, I think it makes sense, but it's it's all the chemistry stuff and what's it's, going on with the team otherwise. It, it's not going to be a good team that gives him that money. Like they're, like none of the top eight teams are going to give him that money. You you need him as someone who can turn around a the culture of a team, which is what was so weird about him pucking Jordan Poole anyway because he's always been – Whatever you thought about Draymond Green, he's always very much been the heartbeat of the Golden State Warriors. And I think one of the reasons Golden State is six this year instead of two or three is because that heartbeat's been somewhat poisoned, so to speak. Um, but I don't think he has a good relationship with team. I don't. I do think he looked at you're giving Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins this kind of money, and you haven't paid me yet, and I've got four rings. I think he took that personally. So I don't – I think the least likely thing is him doing that player option if they don't get out of the first round. Now, here's two things I think could happen. I could wonder – see, you said four years at 120 million. I think it's closer to three for 90 million, and I think Dallas would do that in a second, uh, particularly if they have no interest in signing Kyrie Irving back, which I don't think they do, and I don't think Kyrie wants to be there. But the other option that I will tell you right now is this. Whichever team drafts Victor Wimbanyama – will be looking very hard at Draymond Green. Very, very hard at Draymond Green. Because the last thing that you want to happen to Victor Wimbanyama is for Giannis to get a head full of steam and run him over and knock him out for the entire season. And so there's going to be what are and all three all the teams that are that are up there for that have the salary space to do that, where it's the Spurs, where it's Detroit, whether it's Houston. Uh, who would actually probably use that on James Harden instead for whatever reason, but whatever. Uh, whether it's Charlotte, all those teams are going to be looking at getting something in line to help. Because the number one thing with Wimbanyama is, is like, well, you know, he's a he's a toothpick. And he's going to need something. He, we're going to need more muscle around him. And I think any team that drafts him is going to be more than happy to pay that money to, to keep him protected while he grows. I, I, I could be wrong on that. I've I've been wrong before. I've been wrong about these playoffs all the way through so far, um, but I but I, I I can totally see that happening. Yeah. So that the third option is the most intriguing to me because I like the idea that whoever ends up with Wimbanyama is looking for a player like Draymond who can uh, take care of some of the hardest, like most physically intimidating defensive assignments. Um, but I wonder, like me personally, I would be concerned having Draymond as Victor Wimbenyama's like veteran mentor, because everything I've understood, I don't proclaim to be a Wimby expert, but it sounds like he's like a really reserved, laid back type of guy. He's kind of private. I think he and Draymond have like very different personalities and I could see him not getting along with Draymond Green. If he picks stuff up from Draymond, it might not be some of the best stuff. Um, I think there's kind of a weird character fit between the two of those, but on the court, it makes plenty of sense. Um, as far as your second option, which seems reasonable, of like a three-year, $90 million, three-year versus four is definitely a big difference to me. I feel like in four years, Draymond's definitely not going to be anything good. Um, three years, I'm still not sure, but at least I think he's going to be pretty good next year and probably another year. Um, so there, it's not that there would not be risk involved in there, and I'm worried about the Mavericks doing anything that have risk because they pretty much need to do everything right. So that ends up being the wrong thing. Uh, I think it's 
really bad news for Dallas and for them keeping Luca and all of this. But that kind of a deal does make sense because I think there's an upside with it um, where they get good again. They could be like the three or four seed next year. Maybe they could make a Western Conference Finals if they pick up the right second ball handler. Um, and I mean, anytime you give your chance in a playoff, in the playoffs, you can make a run. We saw that last year. So uh, I, I, I kind of like that for them. I would just be fairly hesitant. Um, and then again, you just have the X factor of what if Draymond does something stupid. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, that, that's that's always the X factor now, right? And that that's the problem with, you know, it's it's always unfortunate when a guy who is something of a, I mean, a legendary player, you know, does something as stupid as punching in our teammate because it's always it's always in his it's always in his file, right? You know, it's always there, and so now you always have to question, you know. Um, you know, is he going to punch Davis Bertans, you know, in practice? Uh, you know, I mean, who knows? That's, that's a, it, it's now a possibility. So I, 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 you know, it, the Mavs, they're in an interesting position moving forward. I, um, I'm like you, I think they've made some, some pretty tragic, uh, decisions this year. And I do wonder at what point does, well, I mean, Luca, the, the story that came out was that Luca's, you know, in 2024 is ready to push for a trade. You know, he's given him one more year essentially. And that's never a good sign. And I don't know what they could do this year to change things. Um, so like, you know, cause I mean, you know, the, the players that are on the market are not really needle movers in my opinion. Uh, even even Draymond, you know, even if it, let's say he maintains the exact same level on defense, you know, I mean, are, are they past the fourth seed? I don't think so. Probably not. Um, I mean, it's possible, but uh, but if that happens, I would assume that just like you know the <laughs> the Suns had fallen apart, the Kings had fallen apart, you know, stuff like that had happened. So um, so yeah, so let's. Um, I don't know. Anything else you want to say about Dallas and uh, and Luca? Um, one more thing, and this is just me going way back, but you did talk about Luca's ability to play defense, and if he's just like uninterested in ever doing it. And you're right that he's pretty much never done it, but it's not true that he has never actually done it, uh, because last year in the playoffs, the way they got to the Western Conference Finals it looked like they were going to get humiliated by the Phoenix Suns um, after they fell down 2 nothing in Game 2, uh, Devin Booker and Chris Paul did humiliate Luka. Like, they just went after him. And his defense was absolutely the probably the main cause that they were down 2 nothing in the series. But then from that point on, I'm not saying he was a stopper, but he stopped being that floodgate that just left everything, uh, let everything go by him. He was no longer just a victim to be picked on on defense. He played enough defense to actually give them a shot when he was not playing enough defense to give them a shot previously. So we know he's capable of it. And then it's just a strange line that we see pretty much every team deals with this of how hard do we, well, I'll say literally every team deals with how hard do we actually want to play in the regular season for 82 games. Uh, because even like the the types of teams that deal with that the least, like the Milwaukee Bucks, 
you know they have another level in the playoffs that they can hit. They're not playing playoff basketball for 82 games in the regular season. So how do you flip that switch? How do you make it a dimmer switch where it's not all the way off? It's at least a little bit on at some point. Uh, they Luca pretty much is just on or off, and he's pretty much always off from what I understand. But we know he can turn the defense up to at least a respectable level. So I, I don't know why he was not able to do that. Um, also, I don't know how much of this is his effort and how much of it is just like by necessity. But you talked about like with Dirk, he was at least a good defensive rebounder. Luca led them in rebounding. Like he was his team's best rebounder. So he was doing a lot of work. And he's, to be fair to him, he's asked to do more on offense than probably any player in the NBA is. So he expends a ton of energy on that end. It is tough to ask him to do all of that and then go ahead and play defense. So maybe that's one of the things of like, this is the, you're reaping what you sowed by letting Jalen Brunson go. Maybe he could play 5% better defense if he has somebody else who bears a little bit of the shouldering of the offensive load. <sighs> but uh, yeah, I'll digress about that. That's just one last thing that was on my mind with Luca. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think all that's fair. You know, like I said, I'm a, I'm a Luca fan. I think, I think you can build a, a very strong team around Luca, but I do wonder, you know, like I said, if you look at the, if you look at the top 15 players, it's like consensus top 15, if I didn't ranking them, there's not one that has a negative on defense. Um, and yeah, the closest would maybe be like off the top of my head, Stephen Curry, and he's not a negative, like I mean, he's small, but he, at least he gets steals. He knows where to be. He gets abused a little bit, but it's not right. his fault. Like he is at least an average defender. He's not a sieve. Right. Exactly. So, you know, I mean that, that to me is just kind of, uh, that, that, that to me is just kind of troubling, but, uh, but we'll see, you, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've spent enough time on Luca, you know, Luca's not in the playoffs. So we're going to talk about the playoffs. So, um, Case, you came up with this format. Um, you're going to be our Eastern Conference expert. I'm going to be something of a Western Conference expert. And essentially, we're going to just go series by series, one through eight. Uh, so, well, uh, yeah, well, through all eight teams, uh, through all four matchups on each side. Uh, we're going to start one eight. We're going to do it like the brackets look. So we'll start with our one eights, then our four fives then our three, six, and then our two sevens. Um, you want to, you want to go first? You want me to go first? What do you want? How do you want to do this, Chase? I'll let you decide. Mm, I don't have any great reasoning for it, but I can go ahead and go first. So if uh, I, I'll ask the first question. So, so sounds good. So we're doing, so we're doing Denver and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah. So, Oh, yeah, yeah. You already heard me complain about how late that game is. I think that's just ridiculous, especially for a Sunday night. I mean, I want to watch that game, and I'm probably not going to be – I don't know if I'll even see the whole first quarter. Yeah. And I've seen every playoff game so far. So we, we've we had six games happen so far, so we do already know a little bit about some of these series. But we know nothing about this one yet. Um, so I, this is a fairly simple question. Of course, I'll chime in after you – attempt to answer my question with some of my thoughts, but if the Timberwolves can make this a somewhat competitive series, what strategy do you think they need to use on Jokic? Uh, and so a couple of things like, you know, whether a team has one or two superstars, sometimes people will use the strategy of, okay, let's uh, make him do everything. Let's take away all of his teammates and put all of the burden on him. And then there's the opposite of that where you 
try to shut him down and put all of the responsibility on his teammates. I think Jokic, he's obviously the best player in the series, um, absolutely should be. And he's a unique player to have to kind of game plan for. So what do you think they can do with him if they're going to have any shot at winning at least a game or two? Um, so the thing is, is that the thing about Denver is that they are uniquely designed to take on a team like the Timberwolves because Timberwolves run this weird kind of two towers situation with Gobert and Towns. Um, defensively, I'm not totally sure how that works. Jaden McDaniels has been ruled out, I believe. Am I right on that, Chase? Uh, I haven't heard that, but I would assume so. He broke his hand. I don't right. think he's going to be able to play with a broken hand. So, so you're losing. You're losing a lot of your. You're losing probably your most athletic defender and the guy that you probably would want to be trying to seal off the many cuts and the many drives and the many backdoors that Denver runs on a play-by-play basis. So what you probably are going to attempt to do with Jokic is actually you probably want to front him as much with Rudy and dare him to score over Rudy, just a one-on-one. The Ringer did an interesting thing on Joel, uh, on Joel Embiid talking about the differences in how Embiid and Jokic play, how Embiid um, never waits for a double team. He goes into his move before a double team even comes. Even if he sees the double team, he tries to pull his move off because he believes he can score against anyone. That's probably true. Whereas Jokic, is, he spends all the time waiting on a double team. And so, like, for me, if, if I'm Minnesota – what I'm going to want to do is is go, okay, Rudy, you know, here's the deal. We basically mortgage the entire franchise for you. Um, it's your job. You know, you need to just stay on Jokic, front him, make him do, uh, you know, make him pull off his weird hook shots and his weird turnarounds with, on the wrong leg and all the stuff he does and just make it really, really hard for him to score because that's not what Jokic is going to want to do. Jokic does not want to take 20 shots a game. And if you can cut off the other players around him, you can maybe make things more difficult for him um, and and take them out of their game just a little bit. Because the key to Denver, really, I think, getting going in all the series is going from Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray. Those are the two players that, if their offense is clicking, turns them into an elite team. The weird thing about Denver, even though they're the number one team in the West, is I'm not totally sure anyone would say they are an elite team all the time. You can see that by the fact that most analysts are taking the Suns uh, uh, or, or randomly the Lakers you know, into the finals uh, this year as opposed to saying Denver's going to make the finals. And the reason for that is because if Murray and Porter are not clicking, then it turns into a Jokic show that he doesn't really want to do. Um, even though he's a guy that I think he what was a 63% from the field this year, some ungodly number like that. Um He's a fantastic one-on-one player, but it's not really something that he wants to focus on. So if you want to take him out of their game, that's the way to do it. And ironically, even though I'm not a Minnesota fan, you know, I've been down on Minnesota, you know, from the get-go, Chase. I told you that that that, that pick that they gave to Utah was going to turn into a number seven pick, and it would have if all these other teams had, you know, been horrible in the West. But anyway, I digress. But um, they've got the guards in Conley and Anthony Edwards to really, really make things difficult for the, uh, for the, uh, for the cuts and the, and the backdoor cuts and things like that, because Conley and in, in particular, Anthony Edwards are both 
Well, uh, Conley definitely and Anthony Edwards when he hunkers down are elite level defenders. Um, so they can give them some trouble. Now, whether they do that or not, I don't know. Um, because, yeah, man, I mean, Minnesota's just a weird team, Chase. I mean, they're just like, there's a strange team. I'm really shocked they made it into the playoffs. Um, so I'm, I'm personally not looking for them to win more than one of those games. Um, because I do think they're just a weird team that just really doesn't like each other, doesn't like playing with – really, really, I think it's most of this team just doesn't like Rudy. And I, I do wonder how much of this team – looks at looks at Rudy and goes, I don't know, I think we were better off last year when we were, you know, giving Memphis all they wanted. Um, so, so, I, but, uh, yeah, to your question, uh, yeah, just easy. I know that's, like, as easy answer as you're going to give, but, yeah, front, uh, front Jokic, do, don't double-team him, uh, make him beat you, and then hope that Anthony Edwards can score 40 points a night. That's probably your strategy, I would assume. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's pretty close to the answer that I would give. I do think the answer is that you kind of need to try to limit everybody else and make Jokic do too much, in particular in the scoring, because he is very happy, it seems, to not do a lot of scoring. He likes setting up teammates, and he's very good at it. So if you make him score 40, which he is capable of doing but doesn't seem to be that inclined to do, I think that makes sense. I was a little bit surprised. Um, as you know, I, I like the theoretical Timberwolves pretty well, and they just haven't, for several different reasons, I think, put it together. Um, I think there's a world where they are a pretty good team if everything was actually working. Um, but I heard a lot of people talking about it probably didn't matter who won that last play-in game between the Timberwolves and the Thunder. It was going to be a short series regardless. But a lot of people were saying that there, it was just going to be a sweep pretty much regardless if it was the Thunder. And the Timberwolves are the team out of those two that had any chance of doing something. And I don't know how much I agree with that. That surprised me. I get the justification because the Thunder are so small and Jokic would be able to just destroy them in the paint, theoretically. Uh, they're a team that really likes doing a lot of damage in the restricted area. And the Thunder are, at least size-wise, not very well to, equipped to do that. So I kind of get it. Um, I did... I don't know how much in-depth we're going to go in here, but while I think the Nuggets are way better than the Timberwolves, I see several things that I could at least think about trying to do if I was the Timberwolves trying to do something, um, and it would start with what you said. Yeah, I just, for me, the Timberwolves, it, it's just, I, I, I understand where you're coming from, where you, theoretically, and I, I get the theory behind it, but the problem with the theory behind it is, at the very beginning of this year, the thing that I said was Rudy Gobert hurts what Carl Anthony Towns is good at, which is Carl Anthony Towns is how because because at his best, Carl Anthony Towns creates just as many problems as Jokic does. Where it's like, okay, what do we put on him? If we put a power forward on him, he shoots over him. If we put a center on him, he drives around him. There's very few players in the league. There's like a list. There's a handful of list of players in the league that if Carl Anthony Towns is playing like he did last year, can be can guard him straight up, and that just causes so many problems. And I, and I really, really thought it was weird that they, you know, kind of, kind of sacrificed what they had with him and Edwards, because those are two guys I thought could have grown together. I think their games mesh real well. And then also you got Rudy Gobert, who you know I. 
is just such a negative on offense at this point. It's just it's almost it, it almost hurts what he does on defense or what he doesn't do on defense. Um, because, you know, to as we found out, you know, uh, when uh, Kyle Anderson, you know, was saying, hey, why don't you block some shots? Fair question, Kyle Anderson. Why doesn't he block some shots? You know, we you gave up the you mortgaged the whole franchise for this guy. And he is he is seemingly, you know, just a fraction of what he was defensively. And you've got him for three, the four more years. I can't remember what it is, but like. That's a problem moving forward. So I, I, the thing is, like, the last thing I'll say about the Timberwolves is that whatever you think of them on this in this series is more than likely what you're going to think of them for the next few years because that problem's not going away. You have to play him. You have to find a way to make it work, and I just don't know if it does because um, just, just because of what a detriment he has been offensively. And apparently, you know, Rudy Gobert has had personality problems on on Utah, and I guess he's just not matching with Minnesota either because um, it does not seem that they like him either. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, my final prediction, Chase, uh, yeah, I'm not – I mean, I would be shocked if it's Denver in anything more than – anything more in a sweep. It should be Denver in four. Might go five, but my, my guess would be Denver in four here. Yeah, I'm pretty similar there. Um, I was incredibly negative on the Rudy Gobert trade just because I thought they gave up way, way, way too much. But I did not think it was going to make them worse. I thought it might make them a little bit better. I get the logic of Carl Town should be a good defender. I don't know why he's not. Um, he doesn't have quite the same excuse as Luca does. He says all the right things every time I hear him speak. Um, but I just don't think he lives up to what he could be on defense. So I get trying to find a, a rim protector and an interior defender and stuff that they just don't have. But yeah, uh, as you look further into it, it seems pretty obvious that he messes with their offense too much and does not help their defense all that much. Um, but I mean, they were somehow able to make it into the playoffs in this weird year with cat missing most of the season. Uh, who knows? I I do think it should be a sweep. Um, we talked about, uh, I mean, in general, I don't know what to think about the West because there are six or seven teams that I think legitimately could make it to the finals out of the West. Obviously, Denver is one of them, but to me, there's just no clear and obvious favorite. It concerns me a little bit that Denver, I looked it up, they have, I think, uh, the 16th, highest net rating so they are like very average since the all-star break a big part of that of course is that they were in the driver's seat for the one seed and didn't have to play that hard um but like post all-star break is that that was like 23 25 games for most teams so that's 23 games for them where they went 12 and 11 um it's just a long time to be playing mediocre basketball regardless of whether or not you're capable of more um and i just don't know how to evaluate the Timberwolves because every now and then they look like the team that I think they should be, but usually they're not. So um, I'm not going to be surprised whatsoever. If it's a sweep, if I'm making an official prediction, I'm going to go with nuggets and five, because like I said, there's like five or six things that I could see the Timberwolves trying to exploit and maybe having that work once in four games and fourth of force a fifth one. 
Um, but the last thing I wrote down was just that the Nuggets are pretty well equipped, like kind of uniquely well equipped to spread the floor and keep Gobert and Cat out of the paint defensively. So the little bit of a positive that Gobert can bring, I think the Nuggets have ways that they can neutralize him. So probably four or five games. I'm going to say five just because I think the Timberwolves can take one, but I'm not going to be surprised either way there. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. Okay, uh, I I, uh, I got a question for you. Okay, we're going to move to you, man. Uh, Bucks and Heat, okay? Yep. So I'm going to make a statement that you're going to, in my opinion, voraciously disagree with me on, and then I'm going to back that statement up, okay? <laughs> okay, I'm interested. Right. I think, in my opinion, that the Bucks are the weakest favorite team that we've had in at least 15 years. Now, here's why. The Bucks have been embarrassed. We look at the embarrassment that Boston gave them, 140-99. You remember that game, right, Chase? Of course. I remember where I was. I remember the feelings I was experiencing. I remember most of the things that happened. It was wonderful. You've also got situations where Teams like the Phil, uh, Philadelphia 76ers, where teams like the Cavs, uh, and even a team like the Knicks have basically shown up and said, very clearly, we are not afraid of this team. So, Chase, should the Bucks be more feared than they are? Um, More feared? Well, I think teams fear them. Like, I... I I could be incredibly wrong, but I think most people, and including probably a lot of people in the NBA, feel as I do and think they're, while there are multiple teams that could win the East, it should just be Milwaukee or Boston. I think those are the two best teams. I think Milwaukee has deserved that type of respect. Um, I would disagree that they're the weakest favorite, just because I can just point towards Unless, are you talking out of a conference or out of to win the entire finals? So, so they're the overall. I mean, they're the overall favorite, right? I mean, like probably. Yeah, I'm saying like everybody has them as the team most likely to win. I know they're overall favorite in Vegas. Um, I say they're the weakest overall favorite that we've had in probably about 15 years. That might be true. I definitely push back on if like the weakest conference favorite because i think whoever if it's the suns in the west right now i think the suns are way weaker of a, a favorite to win the west than the bucks are to win the east but yeah if you're going for favorite to win the title um part of that i don't think is necessarily their fault i think they're a true title contender and deserve that respect but this is just a really wide open year and in the past it has kind of been i mean of course we had whatever lebron did like 10 or 9, 10, 11 straight years where his team made the finals. Like, there, there were kind of just like two or three teams going into each season. I was like, yeah, this team can do it. Like, uh, in the past decade, the Celtics have been there a couple of times, but it it's quite often been LeBron's team and the Warriors and stuff like that. Like, there have just been, there's more parity in the NBA right now, which is nice. So I don't know if that's uh, discredits Milwaukee in any way. I understand. So, um, yeah, I, I get both sides of that. I do think they have the right amount of fear. I don't think they're heavy favorites, and I don't think they should be, but I think they've deserved to be the slight favorite right now. 
So here's 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 what I'm talking about. I'm I, I'm gonna give you I, I'm gonna tell you tell you something about a game that happened on Valentine's Day. Okay. So on a game happened on, on Valentine's Day, the Bucks won one thirty one to one twenty five. Giannis had thirty six thirteen and nine. Drew Holiday had seven and five or forty seven and five. And they won by six points against the starting five of Grant Williams, Mike Muscala, Derek White, Sam Hauser, and Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin threw up 15 and six in this game. So this this is the point where, and yeah, Middleton's coming. In fairness, uh, everyone always talks about Middleton because, you know, Middleton's probably one of the 100 greatest players of all time, right? And if you lose Chris Middleton, you're just losing this just, Solid all the way, like poor man's Kevin Durant. So he did come off the bench and scored 16 here and had 11 rebounds. So what I'm saying is, like, if you're not putting the fear of of God into Mike Muscala, who threw up 18 and 8, I just don't know how how much, what your team's going to look like when they're going against Jimmy Buckets. And I understand that, like, because I really think, I really think, like, I mean, I told you I thought Boston would sweep the heat, you know, and I, I think I, I still stand by that. But there's something about Boston where when they play bad, I don't view it as, okay, there's something wrong with them mentally, even if that's true. Because, like, Mark Smart has come out and said he's, there's been something off of him, you know. But, like, when they play bad, I don't view it as, okay, you know, like, something's wrong with this team. But when Milwaukee is losing by 41 points to their closest rival, or when Joel Embiid goes in and says, I'm not scared of Milwaukee, and then, you know, drops 35 and 15 on them, or when they go against Boston without any of its starters or any of its stars and can't put the, seemingly can't put them away until the very end of the game, I start to question things and I do wonder, you know, if this team that does play Grayson Allen for seemingly 35 minutes a game and all that's not true, but it seems like it. I do wonder if this team does have a lot of exploitable weaknesses. Yeah, that is one of them, particularly Grayson Allen, the Celtics last year were able to really target him and, uh, I I think they can do it again. So they're definitely (laughs) not a team that doesn't have, weaknesses they don't have it's not that they don't have flaws that's one of them uh their defense i know they i think they have the fourth best defensive rating and that's like kind of surprising to me because they're literally good at defending every level of the court the only thing they don't do is they're like weirdly the last the worst team in forcing turnovers which a team that has drew holiday and Giannis, i don't understand that at all but otherwise like they make every shot you take difficult uh, so defensively, that's just, they're terrifying. I think everybody knows how good Giannis is on offense. It seems like Drew Holiday took a step up on offense. They're still trying to work up uh, Chris Middleton to being his former self. Um, so, uh, But then you've got Bobby Portis, who's been pretty well, doing pretty well on offense for them. Uh, I think Brooke Lopez is kind of a freak being Splash Mountain. I love that nickname. Um, what he does on offense for them, in addition to all of the defense, is great. Uh, they... They're really good. Like you said, Grayson Allen is a tough hang. He doesn't seem like somebody who should be starting for the best team in the NBA, um, which I think is why they are beatable, but they are really, really good. 
I, I think they are very, very good. Um, and I think I don't think they're gonna have much of an issue with the heat. Um, particularly if Tyler Harrow's, you know, has officially broken his hand. Um, but um I just I don't know. I, I just I keep going back to, you know, I've the two games that I've seen this year of them that really stand out. You know, I've I've watched them play a little bit uh, more than some of the other teams, but like those two Celtics losses are bad. I mean, they weren't they weren't even they didn't look competitive. And what scares me is it did look like the teams were trying. You know, because when when the forty one point one happened, you can be like, well, you know, you know, they just they just don't think they need the number one seed that much. But that had a playoff atmosphere to it early on, and one of those teams responded, and one of them didn't. And to me, that would scare me going forward because. The Bucks have the hardest road of the one seeds, in my opinion, because the Heat, you know, I mean, any any team with Jimmy Butler is going to be annoying, but you'll, you'll probably get by them. Then you've got either, A, the best defense in the league, Cavs, or the We Believe New York Knicks waiting for you in the second round. And then you have either the Sixers or the Celtics, who both have proven that they're not scared of you. Um, so, you know, to me... Some of that just kind of kind of worries me about them. Um, of course, as I say that, Chase, they have the great equalizer, which is the best player in basketball, in my opinion. I mean, Giannis is Giannis is as advertised, and um, you know, if he if he just says the heck with it, we're going to win this game as he has in the past. Uh, I think that's when they're unbeatable. But it does it does hurt that. In that two-guard spot, you're either looking at Grayson Allen or Pat Connaughton, and I think that's a really, uh, really scary combination to take on uh, against teams that have uh, Jalen Brown and Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon uh, and, uh, you know, Tyrese Maxey and James Harden uh, down the road, or Darius Garland Donovan Mitchell, you know, um, or Jalen Brunson. <laughs> you know, so, like, you know, I mean, they're, they're going to play a lot of teams that should be able to exploit that. And we'll just see how good they are at uh, at keeping that from being exploited. Um, but yeah, uh, last last word on that, Chase. I'll give it to you. Yeah. So um, I'll ask for your prediction, and then the other thing you mentioned. So we, right as we were recording, that game was ending. So the first game in that Heat Buck series, the Heat actually took. Uh, Giannis got hurt. I think it was in the second quarter. Uh, pretty certain it was in the first half. Maybe early in the second quarter hurt his back. He did not come back in. He was ruled out fairly quickly. Uh, it Maybe it's a contusion that he's going to be able to play with, but uh, that that's obviously a concern. First and foremost, Giannis needs to be healthy. Um, and so I'll go ahead and tell you my prediction because I respect the Heat, or sorry, I respect the Bucks and don't know what the hell to do with the Heat. Um, man, that Heat team does not make sense. They were the one seed in the East last year. They made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. They beat Joel Embiid and the Sixers. They took the Celtics to seven games and almost won a Game 7 that they should not have won. Uh, They almost made the Finals last year. They bring back most of their team. I still think, like, I I know this team can play good basketball, but they were just really uninspiring all year. And if you're going to give them the excuse of they can turn it on when it matters, they lost a play-in game to the Atlanta Hawks. I just and, and I mean they needed I think it was a fifteen to one run run or something 
to beat the Bulls in a second play-in game. So I was giving them a lot of respect for a long time and then kind of decided that they maybe don't deserve it anymore. And now, uh, again, Giannis was, he missed this game, but the Heat, I'm pretty sure, had a lead when he went out. The Heat played really well today. Um, so I predicted the Bucks in four. That is impossible now because they've already lost the game. So I, not knowing what to do with Giannis, I think the Heat, the, I keep interchanging the teams. I think the Bucks should be way better if Giannis is healthy. Um, let's say he's like banged up but gets to play some more. Uh, maybe the Heat take one more game. I'm still going to take the Bucks. I'm maybe going to say six. If it's more than that, I'm going to be really concerned about Milwaukee, but also like kind of relieved as a Celtics fan. So I'll say Bucks in six just because they are better. Uh, what do you have on them? Uh, I mean, if Giannis is healthy, probably in six. You know, I mean, I think that's a fair. I think that's fair. Uh, if Giannis isn't healthy. I don't, I don't see them beating the Heat. No, I mean Butler had that thirty-five and eleven tonight, uh, thirty-five points and eleven assists. Um, when Jimmy, when Jimmy Butler gets going, he's he's as good, he's as good as anybody really in the NBA. I mean, I mean literally as good as anybody in the NBA when he gets going. So um, if he has more games like that, and Giannis isn't healthy, uh, the Bucks have a really hard road to hold. Um, so, but I, if, if Giannis is healthy, it looks like the x-ray came back cleared from what I just saw. Um, if he's healthy, bucks and six, that's probably my, that's probably my guess. All right. So, uh, if I understand that correctly, are you ready to move on to the next series, which is, I think the Suns and the Clippers, right? That is correct. All right. So that game, that game, one of that series is being played right now. I do have a bit of a longer question. My last one was simple. This one gets both more context and it's just longer in general. So here's my question. Four seed Suns, five seed Clippers. What is going on with the lineup situation for the Clippers? Marcus Morris started 65 games for them and has not played since March 25th. Paul George is likely out for the first few games of the series. Uh, The Clippers don't have a single lineup, not one lineup of five players that has played more than 13 games at the same time, like been on the court together in 13 games. That's the lowest in the NBA. Uh, They also don't have a lineup that's played more than 164 minutes, which is I'm surprised to see there are three teams lower than that, uh, but that's the fourth worst in the NBA. Uh, But then if you talk about they maybe, I don't think Marcus Morris is playing tonight. I don't, know if he's expected to play at all this series. I'm confused what's going on with him. I've heard some people say like he's just out of the rotation. I've heard some people say he's injured. Uh, I'm kind of just confused there. But if you don't include lineups with Marcus Morris, their most played lineup has played five games together and only 83 minutes. And they don't have any other lineups that have played 50 minutes together. Um, so what's going on with that lineup? Who do you think they will start uh, now I guess we have the answer. Uh, I don't actually know off the top of my head who ended up starting this game, but the answer's out there. Uh, and then who do you think they should start specifically when playing the Suns with what they've got left? And finally, keep in mind, somebody's got to guard Kevin Durant. Who is that? Um, well, the easiest question uh, that you asked there was who's going to guard Kevin Durant. Uh, Kawhi Leonard's going to guard Kevin Durant. 
Durant was even talking about that uh, earlier this week about how um, what a good defender Kawhi is, and uh, you know how he's he's just very difficult uh, to play against. Um, you know, just talking about what a great competitor he is. Um, all the other questions are impossible to answer because the Clippers are the they are the all star team of the you know rest. Uh, of the of the rest generation of the NBA, um, there are so many things that I dislike about this Clippers team. Um, there's so many things that I just really don't like about what they bring to the table as an NBA team. That I'm really, really hoping the Suns squash them. I've never rooted for Kevin Durant this hard in my entire life um, because what the Clippers essentially did was they. Um, they allowed Kawhi Leonard to hold them hostage for Paul George um, and got two players that, whether on purpose or not on purpose, really doesn't matter, but two players that are guaranteed to miss 25 to 30 games every single season. And when you have that, and they're your two best players, that is why you have situations, like you said, they're most played five has only played what uh, you said 120 minutes together or something like that or has played five games or whatever you know yeah so they've got their most played that includes marcus morris is 164 minutes but outside of marcus morris their most played is five games 83 minutes right so that entire team is built around the concept of playing with those two players and if you don't have those two players then the team gets thrown in the chaos and that's how a team that has Kawhi Leonard and paul george which on paper should be as good a duo as anybody can somehow come in the fifth and be fifth in the Western conference because all those players are role players. I mean, Zubak, I love Zubak to death, but he's a role player. Marcus Morris is a role player. Um, you know, all those guys that have got around them are role players. Uh, even, I mean, at this point, even Russ is a role player. Um, they somehow were able to call in Denver out of my man bones, bones Holland, but I don't know. He hadn't really been in the rotation. Has he case? He has been some. Um, I've got their stats pulled up, so I, I definitely have him as one of their their guys. Uh, actually, I don't have theirs, but he, he's been playing some. He's coming off the bench. I think he's used not quite as much as he was in like his prime career in Denver, but um, kind of how they used him towards the end, where it's like, we're going to use you. You're not going to play like 25 minutes a game, I don't think, but we're going to uh, get you involved. He's played several games for him. Um, I'll look that up. Uh, actually, now I've got it in front of me. Talking about Bones Highland, he has played 14 games and averaged 19 minutes. Right. So you got you got a situation where they have Trey Mann, Russell Westbrook, and Bones Highland, and all three of those players are the exact same player, really. Um. I mean, you know, I, I mean, Russ, I, I'm a Russ defender. You know, Russ is, I think, adds a lot to a team. It takes away a lot from a team as well. But all three of those guys are guys that you're that are going, that if you have them, the only reason to have them is to be like, okay, this is a Bones possession. Everybody just stand around and rest while he does what he does. Or this is a Trey possession. Everybody stand around and rest while he does what he does. Or this is a Russ possession. And you've got three of those guys. I don't know how they play together. Um, I think Eric Gordon's, you know, a fantastic player. I, you know, I mean, he's still still a very good player. I think Nicholas Batum's a really good player. But all these guys are role players. And if you don't have the team 
if you don't have the guy that the team is built around or the guy's team is built around, that's how you end up with such a chaotic team. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I really don't give them much of a shot. I know you said you've got six teams from the West. You think can make the finals. I'm assuming you believe the Clippers are one of them, right? So I think, I think I said six or seven and the, the Clippers are that iffy one, um, where, and this is coming into the playoffs. If they had Paul George, I would give them a chance. Um, I really was not giving them much of a chance given that I don't think they're starting. I know they're not starting the series, but I don't think they get many games out of Paul George if he plays at all. So I, I don't see them getting past Phoenix. But if Paul George was playing, I think this would be a very interesting series, and I think either one of the teams could make it. Yeah, I just I don't I don't think so as much. <laughs> they, I, for for a few reasons. Um, now, of course, you know I I could be wrong on this. I mean, I like I said, I've been wrong on, on most things this year. Um, you know, it looks like I'm very wrong right now as the as the as the Clippers are just giving it to the Suns at this point. Um, but I just really feel like I don't know other than than your boys in Boston. I don't know if there's a duo that scares me more than Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Um, those are two guys that if their if if their games are meshing and if their games are at the top level of where they can be i don't know how you guard that team um because it they're just you you can't you can't have a situation where you can uh, you can you can have enough defenders to keep both those guys from doing what they want to do they are both that good offensively i mean you could make a case kevin durant's best offensive player in the league and then Booker's probably like eight for ninth best offensive player in the league if he's healthy. So like, what do you do in that situation when you have to guard those guys? I understand you got Kawhi Leonard, but you know, are you? I mean, are you, are we relying on Nicholas Batum to shut somebody down? Are we relying on Eric Gordon to shut somebody down? Um, you know, I, I just I'd be really shocked if the Clippers have enough defensively to stop this team. Um, if you know this this team that is you know as far as I know Aiden O still with Kevin Durant playing, um, I realize the the addendum to that is none of those teams were any good or they were middling to to bad. <laughs> um, but I just I just don't I just don't see what the Clippers bring to the table, wherein they can really match up with this Suns team if the Suns team is reaching the potential it could it could. You know, it, it could be. So uh, so that that's kind of where I'm at on, on this on this series, Chase. What am I missing? Well, you're, so you're kind of a you're, you're you're more you're way more of a Clippers guy than I am. So what am I missing? Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about the, the difference between the theoretical and the actual. So I think theoretically and I know a lot of people believe the same thing. There is at least a chance that this is a good team because I think if they're healthy, and that's probably, that's always the biggest if. Like, are they going to have all of their guys? It seems like the answer is probably no. It's definitely no right now. I don't know if there are <laughs> going to be any games where the answer is yes. Um, but if they have all of their guys, I mean, what team is better equipped to guard the the Suns than a team that has Kawhi Leonard and Paul George? Um, I mean, in where I asked the question, who guards Durant, um, I wrote down, 
Can you attempt to do Batum? Do you try to resurrect the corpse of Robert Covington? Or does it just have to be Kawhi? Is there no other option? Uh, and that's probably the case. But if you have Paul George, then you can put Paul George and Kawhi on KD and Booker. Uh, if you feel like you have to, like Batum and Covington are not good enough to guard Kevin Durant and Devin Booker super effectively, but they're as good as any like third or fourth option would be, I think. So this team just particularly against a team that you're not going up against like a Joel Embiid, which is a different monster, and there are not very many Joel Embiid's in existence. Um, I think they could be punished by a physical interior presence that way. But uh, I don't know if DeAndre Aiden is quite that. So defensively, the upside on that team is ridiculous. And then offensively, like you would think they could make it work because, again, Kawhi's a very good offensive player. Paul George is a very good offensive player. I'm not sure. I think Russell Westbrook has been really important for them because of how many games they miss out of guys like Paul George and Kawhi. Uh, I think he makes a lot of sense for a team that's looking for an offensive engine, an offensive starter. Um, It's where I don't know how much it makes sense to play him with Leonard and George at the same time. Uh, I don't think we've seen a whole bunch of that, and I don't think we're going to. Um, but but he's somebody who can bring stuff on offense if you need him to. You've got a couple of – they're like a really good three-point shooting team, I believe. I think most people on their team are capable of knocking down threes, so they can spread people out. They might be able to spread DeAndre Ayton out. Uh, they've got a path, but my issue was certainly if you don't have Paul George, a lot of that goes out the window pretty quickly. I mean, what's what, what's the what's the percentage you – Give that Paul George comes back this series. Let's let's say let's say it gets to game. Let's say it get let's say it gets to game six. Paul George play game six. From what I've heard, and I don't know how much to trust it, but I heard that he's targeting um, the last couple of games. So game six, I would, I'll put it at like fifty to sixty percent. Uh, I I don't know. I think there's certainly a chance that they get there and he doesn't play, but it sounds like that's what they're hoping for. So I'll put it at at least 50. I just, I, I, well, maybe, I mean, they're like, so they're winning right now. Maybe they can get the game six Uh, that I do think changes things a little bit. I don't think it changes it a whole lot, (laughs) but I think it does. But uh, uh, for me, I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking sons and six. Um, you know, I think the Clippers, I think Kawhi is good enough to, to steal a game or two. Um, and you never know about Russell Westbrook, uh, what, what he's capable of, uh, both good and bad for your team. So, uh, I've got, I've got, uh, sons and six. What do you say, Chase? Yeah. So as you said, I, I definitely believe in the upside of the Clippers more than you, but I, I think the Paul George absence is just such a big deal. I, I, I think if Paul George played the whole series, I'd probably go like Suns and seven, but we know that's not happening. With him out, though, I, I <laughs> you actually maybe, at least by your prediction, believe in the Clippers more than me. I was going to say Suns and five is just going to give the Clippers one game. And um, as ironic as it is that I'm saying this in advoca- advocating for the Clippers, but Kevin Durant's only played eight games with the Suns, and I think that continuity matters. So I, I think something like that could give the Clippers a game. Um, there are a few things that I think the Clippers could take advantage of, but in general, I just unless there's an injury to the Suns to one of their two or three best players, I think they should take care of business. So I actually had Suns in five. Uh, of course, if they lose this home game right now, um, which is on pace to happen, no guarantees, but certainly could, that would 
be it'd be difficult for them to run off four wins in a row, but who knows? So probably Sunson five or six would be my prediction regardless. I'll just still say five because, you know, maybe the Suns come back and win this one. Yeah, I just I, I do I will say this before I give you a question. It is funny because you talk about the Clippers as a theoretical team. The Suns are a theoretical team. It's two theoretical teams going against each other, essentially, um, and and trying to best each other. And we'll just see. For me, I will always, you know, as much, you know, as much flack as I give them for, in my opinion, making very poor basketball decisions. If you've got two theoretical teams and one of those teams is Kevin Durant, you pick the team that's Kevin Durant, in my opinion. So uh, that's just where, where my heart lies. Um, okay, uh, four and five. A really interesting series. New York took the first one last night. It was apparently a banger of a game. Um, Jalen Brunson and Donovan Mitchell going at it down the line. Um, you know, Julius had, seemingly had a good game. Evan Mobley didn't seem to have that good of a game, which kind of shocked me um, because he's been gaining a lot of traction as a defense player of the year candidate uh, towards the end of the season. Although I still think it's probably going to be Jaron Jackson Jr., it probably should be, but uh, but anyway, Mobley uh, seemed to seem like the moment might have been a little big for him. Either way, um, got an interesting four or five with the Cavs and the Knicks. I want to give you some numbers real quick. Okay, I love numbers. So this is this is a player's lifetime playoff averages. Okay, twenty eight point six points, five rebounds. 4.8 assists, 43, 37, uh, 86 uh, shooting splits, 37 minutes a game, why do we not talk more about Donovan Mitchell as a killer in this league, Chase? Donovan Mitchell was awesome yesterday. I got to watch that game. Um, I think we are. I mean, I think he for me and probably most other people is like the one lock on all NBA first team guard. I think he one. I think he's taken a leap this season. Uh, he was better on defense yesterday than I think I've ever seen him play. That used to be like, he was kind of in a tier right below Stephen Curry where it's like, he's too small to actually be a great defender, but he isn't that bad. I think it was actively good yesterday. Um, I, I mean, they, they lost, so that's something to keep in mind. But Donovan Mitchell was awesome. I mean, he was the reason that they stayed in that game. He, weirdly enough, there were a couple times where he missed shots that I expected him to make, but there were also way more times where I was like, okay, this is a heat check. This shouldn't go in, right? And it's just all net. So uh, he, as a shot maker, has really taken a step up He's gotten to be a, a very reliable playmaker and passer. Um, there was a while in his career, um, probably two or three years ago, where I thought he was a capable playmaker, but when he was doing it, it looked like it was forced. Like he was going into certain plays saying, I'm not shooting, I'm passing here. And he was able to do that, but I think he's gotten uh, progressively better at just making the right play. If he's supposed to be shooting, he's shooting it. If he's supposed to be passing, he's passing. And again, he's just gotten better as a playmaker. Um, he blew up in that bubble series and averaged like 40. So that maybe inflated his playoff career numbers by a little well, bit. But So, so, yeah. I, so real quick, I thought that too, Chase, but like he's got uh, the series he had um, 
Gosh dang it, I just lost it. The series he had against uh, Dallas, uh, uh, I'm sorry, against the uh, against the Clippers in 2021 was uh, 35, 5, and 5. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, I'm not trying to take anything away. I'm not saying his stats were not good other than that series. Uh, if anything, that's just a credit to him showing, like, we know that he's capable of scoring in bunches like that in a prolonged stretch of games. Uh, and, I mean, the Knicks are, well, they're actually weirdly a better offensive team than they are defensive, which is not Tom Thibodeau at all. Uh, that confuses me. Um, I almost said that the Knicks are a good defensive team, but really by the numbers, they're not this year. Um, so that's a little bit strange. Um, not something that I would expect out of them. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, Mitchell's just, he's incredible. And I think this year is the year that he's taken the step. He still needs to actually win some playoff series. You can blame, I think he, if I'm not mistaken, he's won like one or two in his career. Yeah, he hasn't won much because the jazz, what's that? Basically two. Yeah. Okay. Cause yeah, the jazz, like part of the reason that he left. Uh, and got traded out of there was that they the Jazz just knew they needed to blow it up because they for whatever reason could not win a tough playoff series like m- most of them that they won they were heavily expected to win they were heavily favored and the ones that they <laughs> lost even they were favored sometimes so uh, he needs to prove it a little bit more by winning like this series would be a big win for him if he loses this one that's kind of tough but I think he's getting the respect that he deserves of like he's top I mean flirting with top 10 probably like i said i think he's first team all nba guard the only reason i don't have him like definitively top 10 is he's only been there to me for like a year but he's excellent i i bring it up because i was kind of shocked when i was doing my kind of research i was like you know donovan's really been one of the stories of the league you know he had the 70 point game um he's been uh he's just kind of been really this kind of joyous presence in the nba um, where we've all kind of collected been like, oh, yeah, Donovan Mitchell's really good. And then I was like, yeah, you know, he had that one really good bubble bubble season. And it's like, no, actually, outside of his rookie year, every playoff series, he's been dominant. I mean, to at least from a scoring standpoint, he's been a masterful, uh, probably one of the better scorers in the playoffs uh, every year he's been there, like I said, outside of his rookie year. And so for me... I, you know, when when I asked that question, I was really more asking about myself because he's a guy I tend to, I don't know why, I have no reason to be this way, but I kind of like tend to figure like, oh yeah, Don Fomento, a really good player. But, you know, I, I do wonder, you know, like, because beating the Knicks is a big deal all the way around. Even if the Knicks aren't that good, it's always a big deal. He's got this opportunity, really, to take this leap into everyone's consciousness because then the very next thing is, going one-on-one with Giannis, you know, so, uh, once again, if the Bucks end up winning, uh, which we're all assuming, it might look stupid for doing so, uh, you know, in the next couple of days. But um, going into it and then doing battle with the best player in the league, I really do think, I think this is going to be a, a really, not really a coordination, but just kind of like, okay, this guy's in the conversation as one of the best in the league uh, kind of situations. Um, so yeah, I, I knew you weren't taking anything away from him. I was taking stuff away from him, but let me add it. Let me add another element to this question. I know we're, we only heard the one question, but I do want to talk about Donovan, but I want to talk about something else. Okay. So Cleveland runs kind of a dual kind of twin towers kind of thing with Garrett Allen and Evan Mobley. Do you think 
that because they're the number one defense in the league. Um, do you think that Evan Mobley and Jared Allen have the ability to play together in such a way where they can, or at least talk about how they can shut down some of these massive offenses that we see from Philly and from uh, Boston? How because they've they've played very well against the top three teams. Is it because you know what what do you credit that more to Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, or do you credit more to the fact that both those teams are not really equipped or seemingly not equipped to deal with pick and rolls very well? And Donovan runs a lot of pick and rolls, and Darius Garland runs a lot of pick and rolls. Why do they do so well against the top teams, uh, Chase? Well, I'll answer it differently for uh, both teams because we're at least as you talked about the Sixers and the Celtics, um, I really wanted to see a series. Like, I wanted somehow the Knicks to move up to three and push the Sixers back to four just because I want to see a series between the Sixers and the Cavs. I think that would be an amazing series. Um, One of the things, so it's tough to run that two big lineup. Sometimes it's tough to run one big lineup. Like, you look at unless you're legitimately awesome, like we've seen uh, as much as people want to poke fun at Rudy Gobert, he is a very good NBA player and certainly was two, three years ago. But in certain playoff matches, matchups, you were able to kind of run him off the floor or neutralize what he did best. Uh, If you can force him to choose between protecting the paint or guarding threes, uh, that's a binary where it's a win-win for the offense. If you're either getting an open three or you're pulling Gobert to the three-point line and getting a less contested shot at the rim. Um, so in a league where it's difficult to run even one big sometimes, the fact that they're able to run two is incredible, but it's because of how good both of them are defensively and that uh, really I think both of them, but particularly Mobley, is capable of guarding perimeter players really well. So it's not really that big of a problem to pull him out to the three-point line as it is for a guy like Gobert. And then on the other hand, having both of them out there at times, you have the ability to play them together or at least one of them stagger their minutes a little bit. But when they're both out there, even if somebody does get brought out to the three-point line, that means another one of them is still able to guard the paint, which is a really amazing luxury to have. Uh, So like the Sixers are actually a really good three-point shooting team but I think there's at least a player or two. You can find people that you can kind of sag off a little bit. Um, I think P.J. Tucker, this might be a controversial take, but I think you can actually double off of James Harden if you need to, uh, or at least uh, I'm not as worried about leaving him open for a short amount of time. Obviously, it's a bad thing if he's open for a long amount of time. Uh, but the six, I can see how they would do well and just match up evenly against the 76ers. I'm somewhat troubled by how well they've done against the Celtics because uh, they've they've won at least two overtime games against the Celtics. And I think, I, I don't know the season series off the top of my head, if it was 2-1, 3-1, 3-0, 4-0, whatever it was. But the, the Cavs played the Celtics awesomely this year. Um, and I thought the Celtics, if there was a team out there that was equipped to deal with that kind of twin towers, as you called them, it'd be them because the Celtics have the ability, everybody on their team in the rotation with the exception of Robert Williams, the third is a good three point shooter that you have to respect. 
And whether he's hurt or he's on the bench, they don't always have Robert Williams out there. So they play plenty of basketball where all five players on the court are a threat from three. And if you can manage to space both of those guys out, uh, I, I just haven't really seen it done. I'd like to kind of watch that more, and maybe we get to see that in a series at some point with Cleveland. I don't think the Knicks are very well equipped to space them out as you'd want them to. Um but so far, they've made it work, and it, part of it is because of how good they are. But in addition to that, uh, they they are not the most polished offensive players. I mean, they have really put together a, a great set of players that correspond with each other, fill in the gaps with each other well. What you gain from having guys like Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland makes up for kind of the offensive lack that you might get really from the other three starters. Um, because Isaac Okoro is kind of off and on sometimes too. Um, and then the defense that you lack by starting those two six, one guards, which, I mean, that's wild that a team can do it, but it's how good they are defensively. Uh, they, they really figure things out. They're, they're a very tough team to beat. Um, one of the only things they really have going against them right now is that they don't have much experience together. And this is literally the first playoff experience they have together. But if it weren't for that, I think they would be firmly in the thick of the top four teams in the East, and maybe they should be anyway now. Uh, to answer your question, they're 3-1 against Boston. Yeah, that one, and uh, like I said, I think two of them were in overtime. One of them, I think, um, it, was, it was two overtime losses, and it, I don't know if you still have it in front of you, but that third loss might have been close, too. Yeah, they're all close. Every one of them's close. Even your win's close. Yeah. Um, so, like, I mean, they, they, they do play Boston very well. Um, I just, uh, real quick, uh, quoting Kevin O'Connor here, so if my number's off, it's his fault. Um, Okoro is 41% from three since the All-Star break. So, there is a, you're right, he's he's off and on, but, like, he's he's trending upwards. Um, if he's if if they could get him going, like if he can be a actual three and D guy as opposed to just a D and D guy, um, that's a, they they could be scary because that's the only that's the only thing they're missing is a guy for Darius Garland to kick out to in the corner. Um, so I you know I I really case I really like that team though. I mean, and once it gets in there, theoretical almost because to your point, they haven't played together that long. They had a really weird season if you think about it because they. They were they were number one or number two in the East for a bit, and they lost like six games in a row at one point. I don't know if you remember that or not, but like that was early in the season. You're just like, what is going on? Like, why is this team, you know, which is healthy, <laughs> like losing all these games? You know, it it they were a weird team, uh, and it's I'll tell you something else. It's also weird to think that the the best defensive team in the league is a four seed. That's kind of a strange thing in and of itself as well, considering they've got, you know, two incredible offensive players in Darius Garland and, and Donovan Mitchell. So um, I don't know if it's just that they're young. They're still very young. I mean, Garland's still a very young player. You know, Mobley is 21, I think. <laughs> so, like, you know, there's there's a there's still growth to be had there. Um, so maybe this is a glimpse of the future kind of team. But, um yeah, I, I I just really like them. I really like how they, what, what they put together, and uh, so so what is your what do you what is your take? We didn't really talk about the Knicks at all. Another team I really like um, because I really like the Brunson, and you know me and Julius, I rock with Julius, man. You know Julius is what's missing off this Lakers team right now. You know uh, there was no reason to trade him ever, 
And uh, we just, you know, there was no reason for that. Um, still angry about it. Um, but, uh, you know, what, what, say something about the Knicks, you know, do you, do you like this Knicks team? I do like this Knicks team, but I don't know why they really confuse me. It doesn't make sense how they're this good to me. Um, obviously Jalen Brunson has been a big addition to them. He was awesome yesterday and a key reason that they were able to win. Um, one thing I'm pretty (coughs) sure the, the Knicks out-rebounded the Cavs yesterday, and I think that was a big reason they won. The, uh, the Knicks almost vomited all over themselves and lost at the end of the game. Uh, it was a really bad stretch for them for a few minutes towards the end, but they pulled it out in large part because of offensive rebounding, and weirdly, uh, it does not make sense to me. One of the Achilles heels for this Cavs team is that they're not a tremendously good rebounding team despite their too big thing and maybe it's how small the other three players are i mean you've got six one six one and six five for your other three players so if you're pretty much relying on three guys and then donovan mitchell whenever he wants to be superman uh sorry two guys and donovan mitchell when he wants to do that to rebound maybe that's a little bit tough but i this series is strange to me um there's also the x factor of randall had not he, he was healthy like all season and then turned his ankle and missed the last several games at the end of the season. And it was, it, it seemed to me that he was not going to play. And then even when it was announced that he was going to play, I was like, well, if it was this close, I feel like he's not going to be a hundred percent, but that was the best playoff game. I think I've seen Randall play because he struggled the last time they were in the playoffs and played the Hawks. Um, That was the, the Hawks played very good defense on him. I did think Evan Mobley played good defense on him at times yesterday. Um, so there is a world where maybe they slow him down more in the future. Not sure. Um, he did have some weird turnovers or a couple of things that didn't make sense to me. But for the most part, he looked comfortable and capable of playing well. Um, so then when you've got him playing well, you've got Brunson playing well. Uh, I, I think this could be a long series. Uh, I think the Knicks were one of the few teams that maybe they had a better road record than a home record. Uh, they were just pretty good a little bit above 500 and both i think uh i don't know i like this Cavs team more but particularly given i know that the knicks have already taken a road game i think it's going to be a long series i probably would have said Cavs in six beforehand um but seeing how yesterday's game played out and there are plenty of things um also thought the Cavs, despite how good mitchell was the rest of the team missed a lot of shots that they could have made so I think if you play that exact same game, like um, there's a, a website, Twitter account, company, whatever they are, that does shot quality. I, I wonder if they would maybe have said that the Cavs got a better shot quality and had like a 60% chance of winning that game. I'm not sure. I could go look at that, see if they've said something. Um, I, I like the Cavs. I think it's going to be tough. I've got Cavs in seven right now. Yeah, I um, I think uh, I think Cavs in seven. I do. I think uh... – I think that this series and the series we're about to talk about, I think, are the two that are going to be the most um, most con- contested series, I believe. At least the ones that are going to be like every game's going to go down to the wire. So, yeah, I think – but I, I agree with you. I think Cavs and Seven's where I'm at. And, yeah, I did just look up shot quality. This was just at halftime. I don't know if they have it for the full game, but um, they did have Cleveland with the – it was close, but a slightly better, like one or two points better shot quality. So uh, I, this is going to be a fun series. I really enjoyed yesterday's game. 
there was a second where it looked like the Knicks were going to blow the lead, which kind of made it more fun because Mitchell had some incredible moments in the near comeback. So I, I look forward to seeing some more of these games. Uh, I do, obviously, I like the Cavs a little bit more because I'm picking them to win despite their, them being down a one. Um, and I also just think that they have more of an upside moving forward. I think they pose a higher threat to teams like uh, Milwaukee and Boston and Philly. Um, but very good. Okay, so next series then. We're going to – which one is that? 3-6? 3-6. All right, so 3-6. That was another really fun game. It was a banger. Uh, yeah, I, I saw most of that one. I saw the entire first half and then the last bit in the fourth quarter. Um, that series, of course, being the Sacramento Kings. Welcome back to the playoffs, buddies. That's fun. Um, 17 years or whatever it's been since you've made it. And then the six-seed Golden State Warriors. Uh, so that's interesting. So I don't know if you could have predicted this, but my question for this series, um, it's a little bit one-sided, just about one of the teams. The Warriors were 33-8 and eight at home this year, but 11-30 and 30 on the road. Their road record was better than that of the Pistons, Rockets, Spurs. End of list. They had the 26th <laughs> best road record. They were worse than the Charlotte Hornets. They'll have to win a minimum of one road game in this series, and unless they end up playing the Lakers, probably every series that they play in, uh, if they want to win a series. Um, what do you think about it? Is there abysmal road record a focus issue that can be fixed in the playoffs, or is it indicative of a deeper issue? Um, only the Nuggets had a better home record. The Warriors at 33-8 and eight at home was awesome, so they had the second-best home record, but the 27th-best road. Um, really tough splits. We know they're capable of being an awful team, and we know they're capable of being good, what do you think the real Warriors is? Um, here's the answer to this question that's going to seem like such a dodge answer. But I don't think the Warriors know what the real Warriors are. And the reason I say this is because uh, I don't want to be ad nauseum with this, Okay. But they have so many players outside of Steph who is a, a just a bastion of like class and what you would want an NBA player to be. Like when you talk about what you want out of an NBA player, what you want out of a player you can build around, you know, there's, you know, there's the post 2000, there's Duncan, there's Kobe. There's LeBron and there's Steph. Those are your four. And, you know, he's been just as good this year. Um, you know, I think he's flirting with first team all NBA. He's 29, six and six this year, and he's 35 years old. And at some point, we need to start talking about what he's doing at age 35 the way we're talking about what LeBron's doing at age 38 because it's getting to be almost as insane. There was a point during the game yesterday, Chase, if I can just get off track for a second, where he he ran he had the ball he ran under the goal ran to the top of the free throw line passed the ball to Draymond Draymond kicked it right back to him grabbed the ball and then went right back and just put up a layup and he he does all this in one motion which is just like crazy to me we've never seen a player like him 
And there, and even with all of this, like when people talk about, you know, how he's changed the league and stuff like that, and they kind of denigrate him when they say it, he's changed the league in that we shoot more threes, but no one does it like him. Like no one else, he's a one of one. No one else is doing what he's doing. And so he is perfectly fine. And he is going to do what he does. And that is your hope if you're rooting for the Warriors. Because everything else on this team, just about everything else on this team is a mess. Um, Clay's been very good. Uh, I would say he's almost, you know, right up there as being like a bastion with uh, with Steph. But, like, just go down the rest of the line. You know, Draymond's been a good defensive player, but he's also been a very surly guy, and I think he has hurt the team. Jordan Poole is the only player I can think of who has taken a shot so bad that it got another player on their team a technical foul. Uh, that's only – I've never seen that happen before, and he pulled that off this year when he took a shot so bad that Steph reacted so badly to it that the ref gave him a technical foul. I've never seen that happen, and it will never happen again. And that's Jordan Poole in a nutshell because he's a guy that can get you 25 points. He's also a guy that can shoot you out of a game. So you've got that. You've got – we don't know what happened with Andrew Wiggins. You know, we – I mean, we. there's been all those rumors and everything – um, but he, that was his first game back last night, uh, in like, you know, 27 odd games from like some, some weird number of games and he'd been gone forever. That was his first game back. You don't know what you're going to have someone like Jonathan Kaminga. You don't know what you're going to have someone like Gary Payton Jr. You know, like there's so many questions on that team that it makes sense that they can't win on the road because how would a team like this travel? This team has to be in a good situation in order to win. It has to be in a place where everyone is behind them um, because the moment there's any type of friction, all these players are seemingly falling apart. And that's weird for Golden State because Golden State's entire thing was built on this, like, really kind of, you know, camaraderie and, you know, us against the world and, you know, things like that. And they were built like that up until literally the punch. And then it seems like everything about them is broken apart. So I don't know which Golden State, what Golden State is. You know, what Golden State is is a, is a team that has one of the 15 best players of all time, the best shooter of all time, and that they have to rely on him to win a lot of things because you don't know what you're getting out of the rest of the team. And that, to me, is scary. And particularly against a team like Sacramento, who this year, you know, you said it's a one-sided question, but it really isn't because they're playing a team like Sacramento, which has been – to your point, something you shared with me recently, has been consistent all the way through. They've got five, their starting five has all played several games, has played a bunch of games. You know, I think every one of them has played at least 73 games. I think that's what you showed me. You've got, you know, their bench players are Malik Monk and really, that's about it. <laughs> you know, who did have, who also did have 30 points last night. Um You've got some really, you know, you've you've got really good, solid players in place. They're coached extremely uh, smart by Mike Brown, um, who's another guy that's like a defensive-minded coach, but who has given this team that is just based around fantastic offense, um, has given them a, 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 a new identity based around the De'Aaron Fox, Sabonis, uh, one-two punk. And all the players just kind of circle around that, and it makes sense with Kevin Herter, with Keegan Murray, uh, with uh, Harrison Barnes. All those players make perfect sense together. They all play well together. 
They have an extremely good home crowd, which is why I really have a hard time believing that the team that's one of the worst road teams in the league is going to have is going to be able to steal one from them. So even though I think this is going to be a competitive series all the way through, I don't know how Golden State beats them unless Stephen Curry goes, you know, just crazy, um, which is not, um, which honestly is has a very good chance of happening. Yeah, it's. I, I think Sacramento deserves a lot more credit than a lot of people are giving them. It's, I mean, Golden State is one of the most heavily, I think, picked teams to advance to the second round. And I, I definitely don't think anybody should be looking past the Kings. Uh, that game last night, we already talked about how good it was. Um, I can make a case kind of both ways uh, that either team should feel okay about it. I mean, with as horrible as the Warriors have been on the road, they missed a Steph shot at the buzzer that would have sent it to overtime. And honestly, I don't know if Steph was rushed or what. I think he probably could have set his feet and had a really good chance of making that. Um, but they were very close. I think they can absolutely play a better game, maybe have a few fewer turnovers, uh, rebound the ball a little bit better. There are some things that they can clean up. Um, they didn't shoot horribly from three, but they could easily have a 40% game in them that wins them a game. But on the other hand, Sabonis was really bad on offense, I thought. I've never, like... Watching him, I was just confused with what he was doing. I thought he was taking dribbles that were totally unnecessary. He was missing all sorts of mid-range jump shots. It felt like he thought he needed to take those shots because Draymond was playing pretty far off of him and giving him those looks, but he was missing them. I think he's capable of making them, but they were not going in last night. So I expect, even though he he rebounded very well and otherwise had a pretty good game, I think he's going to probably that may be the worst game he plays all series. So if you have Sabonis playing better, of course, I mean, Monk and Fox had pretty good games. Trey Lyles had a good game. It was a great night for my former cats. Uh, so yes, I, I think this is going to be a long series. Um, I'll go ahead and give you my prediction. It just, and this is one, uh, it feels like maybe you're going to pick the Kings. And I love that. If you are, you'll tell me that in a second. I'm fighting between my brain and my gut and my heart. My heart says the Kings are going to win it. My gut kind of says the Kings are going to win it. But my brain says this team has not made the playoffs since 2006, I think it was. Um, This team, very few of them have any playoff experience. Maybe Sabonis has a little bit, but um, Fox certainly doesn't have any. Herter only has a little bit. Um, Harrison Barnes, of course, does, but he hasn't always been the best playoff performer. Um, there are a lot of question marks about how they're going to perform, and then the the Warriors are the complete and total opposite. They have been here before more than any team that's out there. Um, so it, my brain just says you cannot pick the Warriors to lose to a team that has literally never been here before. Um, so it's really tough. I am picking... Warriors in six. It feels to me like the Warriors, even though they're not a good road team, they're going to win their home games and steal one road game to, in order to win six. If this game goes to seven, that I'm going to be so incredibly excited, and I, I think the Kings... I would pick the Kings in that game hesitantly. I think game six, if that's an elimination game, I think that's going to be incredibly pivotal. That 
that feels like it's probably going to happen to me, I think. And I look forward to that one, too. That that It's huge to me whether or not the Warriors get a chance to finish the series at home or if the Kings can take care of their home business. Um, yeah, I'm picking Kings in seven. And I'm I'm here to light the beam for you, dude. I mean, that's that's where I'm at. Um, because the, the thing about... I don't disagree with anything you just said. I don't disagree with a thing you just said about, you know, how the, the Warriors have been there. Uh, I'm a Warriors advocate. Uh, I think, you know, what they've done was amazing. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys I think Steph Curry's underrated. But this is a different Warriors team. This is a team that does not have their head on straight. And when you, the thing about it is when you lose a game like you just did, if the Kings had lost to the Warriors in this game, the Kings might have seen it as a confidence boost. Okay, we're right here. You know, we're we're right there with them. Darren Fox was in like, look, we're three or four plays away from beating the four-time championship Warriors. We're three to four plays away from beating Steph Curry. That's how they go into the locker room. But when a four-time camp loses to a team game one that way that has never been there, all those players, none of those players have any playoff experience except for Harrison Barnes and Kevin Herter, I guess. Uh, you know, all, all very young team, you know, very excited team, and they go in there and they lose the way they did. It's a little different. And you got to think at some point some of these guys are thinking like, yeah, we have been right all year long, you know. And that's just kind of where I'm at. I think it's going to be a mental game, and I just don't know if the Warriors have it anymore um, and, and, and have that kind of mental strength to do this and to win one of those games in Sacramento, which is, in my opinion, if not the best home stadium this year, you know, one of the closest. Um, so I, I'm, I'm picking Kings in seven, um, you know, which might be stupid. Uh, you know, um, there's part of me that does want to pick the Warriors just because of how good Steph Curry is. Um, there's probably a very good chance um, that he's going to drop 50 on them at some point, <laughs> you know, in this, in this series. But uh, I just I think the Kings are just that good, uh, and I do think we're kind of sleeping on them quite a bit. Yeah, I love that. I appreciate you having the guts to pick them. Of course, the, the Kings' offense is absolutely legit, but I think it's also real that their defense is not amazing. I think like last night's game was at one twenty six, one twenty three, or something like that. Yeah. Both teams in the one twenties. I think you're going to see a lot where both teams break one twenty, maybe one thirty. It's going to probably be those types of games, but um, yeah, I like you picking them. I think that's, I'm glad that we split that there because I think that's how close this series should be. I agree. Okay. Uh, you're three, six, uh, Philadelphia 76ers, Brooklyn Nets. I got a question about a guy. I'm thinking, oh, it's a guy I'm going to ask a question about. So, he's probably going to win MVP. He's probably my pick to win MVP. Um, what, statistically, would you like to see out of Joel Embiid so that you can say, this guy is the best player in basketball? What would that look like to you? Because the reason I asked, the reason I asked this, Chase, real quick, the reason I asked this, okay, because this is almost an unfair question, but the reason I ask this is because I am inundated 
as probably you are, someone who reads a lot of NBA stuff, who reads a lot of NBA articles, with this idea that Joel Embiid is the best player in basketball and has been this year. Um, to the point where I've already complained to you about the Shaq comparisons. So my thing is I want to see it. I want him to prove it to me. And I feel like you're kind of in the same boat. So what does he have to do to prove that to you, that he is the best player in basketball? It's pretty simple. He just has to put up the numbers that he put up this season or something very close to them in a series. And I really, he needs to win it, that series, against a title contender. Because well, he has come close before. I don't think he's ever beaten a title contender in the playoffs. Um, and if he wants to be an MVP, like one that I really believe should be the MVP, and if he wants to be on a true title contender, obviously he's going to have to do that at some point. And that's pretty much, I mean, short of winning a title, the only thing lacking in Joel Embiid's career is a signature playoff win. Uh, they, as is like somewhat well-known, the Celtics have had their number pretty horrendously. Um, this is the most I have respected and feared the... Sixers before um, in the past, it has just been, I'm not really worried about it. The Celtics are going to beat them. I still think the Celtics should be favored in that series, but um, assuming that it happens, I believe almost certainly it will. Uh, this is the first time that I've actually thought if Joel Embiid has a series, he can do it. So basically I'm saying they have to beat a title contender. He probably has to be the best player in a series in which the Sixers beat the Celtics. And I hate to say that that's possible. I think it's a little bit unlikely. Um, and it may not be fair to him to say that he hasn't met that criteria if he loses the series, because he'll probably be the underdog in the series. But that's what he's going to have to do for me. So, very clear um, for me. I'm, I'm always one of those guys that likes to make this distinction. Um, MVP does not mean you're the best player in the league. Um, it means you're the best player for a season, maybe. And it is a regular season award, and I think he has been the best player uh, this season. Is he, is he your MVP pick? Yeah, for a variety of reasons. I have absolutely no problem with anyone picking him or Jokic or Giannis. I think they're all deserving. Um, I don't want to get too far into narratives and stuff, but I kind of do. There is a little bit of me that, I don't want to make the same mistakes that we've made in the past. If we want to say that it was a mistake that Giannis didn't win three straight MVPs, but it's so incredibly rare to name someone MVP three straight times, really to give them three MVPs, period. There's not a very long list of players that have three at all. Um, so for Giannis has not won three yet. He's won two. And they really kind of dinged him for not having elite playoff success. Um, and that's probably what's about to happen to Embiid if he doesn't do it this year. Um, but Jokic also, he made the Western Conference Finals once, which is more than Embiid has ever done. Uh, but we're kind of waiting on him to do that, so I understand it. Um, so, yeah, I, I lean towards Embiid. I think he's had a phenomenal season. I think things broke pretty well for him. I think they're a very good team, and he's obviously a massive part of that. So, yeah, he is my MVP pick. Um, but it's not with a bullet. It's uh, pretty evenly split between those top three for me. Yeah, I was, I, I, I'm, 
I don't think Jokic is going to win it. I don't think Jokic wanted to win it, um, which honestly kind of bothers me a little bit. <laughs> but about Jokic, but I mean, he can, you know, he's 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 special enough. He can play how he wants. Um, but I'm kind of glad we're not getting the somebody getting the three in a row if Jokic doesn't get it because once again, the guys. It's not just that people have done that. The guys that have done that, particularly the last one that did it. You know, Larry Bird won three in a row, 84, 85, 86. He went to the finals every one of those years, won two finals, won two finals MVPs. You know, I mean, that's about as good a stretch of three years as you're ever going to see uh, post-ABA merger. Um, you know, and so, like, for me, you know, Jokic, I think he's a special player, but giving him three in a row, or even giving Giannis three in a row, uh, was going to be difficult for me to kind of, square that up with what Larry Bird did. Um, and I'm not saying that should be the comparison, but that's just how it works in my mind. That's just who I am as a person. But with Embiid, the problem with Embiid is that he acts like he's the best. So, like, he makes these snide comments about Jokic, you know, like, I don't know if you saw this week, but, like, he made this kind of snide comic about how, like, well, Jokic is finally getting the backlash that I've been receiving my entire career, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, I don't remember what backlash that is, but whatever, you know. And he does make these snide comments like, you know, well, the Bucks are scared of us because we're not afraid of them. He's made that comment, you know. And I'm kind of in the mode of, well, prove it with Embiid. You know, like, okay, you know, you have ostensibly the easiest first round um, team to go against. I mean, nothing against this Nets team. Uh, I have nothing against, I think the Nets team has a lot of fun players. I'm a big Bridges fan. I think it's great what he's been doing. Um, but, I mean, this is the worst team in the Eastern Conference, right, Chase? I mean, I, I mean, in the playoffs. I mean, am I wrong in saying that? Um, I think it depends a little bit. I think they're pretty even with the Hawks. Um, I, I don't know how I differentiate between the two of them, but I think they're the clear bottom two. Well, the, so, like, so my thing is that, okay, fine. If they're If it's one of the bottom two, then, you know, you should stomp all over this team, you know, and, and do what you do. Um, you know, he, his game yesterday was okay, but Harden seemed to drive that game. I mean, in my opinion, um, you know, and like Harden is kind of, you know, one foot in the retirement grave kind of, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not saying he's had, a, he had a great season, but he's slowing down. Um, this is Embiid's moment, in my opinion, to elevate you know this is if, if you're going to do it you know my my favorite example because everybody's comparing him to Shaq um you know and I, I crunched the numbers on that and uh, spoiler alert he's not Shaq um but my favorite comparison is Patrick Ewing because if you want to look at what MB could be he could either be Akeem or Patrick Ewing and 93-94 those two players both crested uh, to as good as they could possibly be. And we find out Akeem was the legendary top 15 player. Patrick Ewing is probably closer to a top 40 player. And that happened because of that year. And it's because, you know, if, you know, if, if he's going to be a king, then it's got to come down to him saying, okay, give me the ball. You know, I'm going to make, not, not I'm going to be a dominant player, but I'm going to make the right decision every single time. The fact that this guy does not kick out to DeAnthony, uh, to uh, Tyrese Maxey and DeAnthony Melton Moore, it just boggles the mind um, because like if you, if Tyrus Maxey was on, was on the Denver Nuggets, he'd average 25 points a game. 
And, you know, and that therein lies the difference for me with Embiid is that there's so many facets of the game that he's really good at. It just seems like there's a bunch that he's just not that great at. You know, he puts himself in a position where he makes these moves and everything around the basket. Yes, he's, you know, really good at catching the ball at the free throw line and taking taking centers off the dribble and going to the hole. He's very good at that, you know. But when he gets run into a brick wall, he's out of position, you know, and we looked it up, Case, me and you looked it up uh, yesterday. You know, he's averaging 1.7 offensive rebounds a game, which is borderline embarrassing for a center, particularly for an elite center. Um, and so I don't know, like, I, I don't know what to do with the guy. He, he's, he's, inter- it's interesting because of the, of the big three players we've got, which are Jokic, Giannis and him, he's the one that's the biggest mystery, not only because he hasn't won, but because it's just like, you know, what is he exactly? You know, is, is he a guy that can carry an offense? You know, I mean, is he an elite defensive player? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. You know, like, what do you do if a center that barely averages 10 rebounds a game in, in the modern era? That's weird, isn't it? <laughs> you know, like, I, you, I mean, you, you look at those, you look at those situations that he's in, and it does seem like if if he is the best player in the league, if he is, if he is going to be the alpha dog of this league, I'd like to see him dominate a little more um, because it never really seems like he is the dominant force. It is, I'm going to tell you how much better I am than Jokic, and then I'm going to sit that game out uh, that would ostensibly prove it. You know, that kind of thing just is like, just tells me that you might not be as dominant as you think you are. Um, but I don't know. I could be being being hard on him. I will give you the last word on Joel Embiid, Chase. I think he or is rightfully... You want to say about the Nets, too. I'm sorry. I, we've, we've kind of left him out of the conversation. But anything you want to say about the Nets, too? <laughs> You're good. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and finish up with Embiid, talk a little bit about the Nets, and then tell you what I think the series is going to be. Uh, yeah, I think he's, for the most part, rightfully evaluated where he is. I think um, he does. He has had that pushback of he has not had postseason success. And some of that, not super much his fault. Some of that is he just gets a fracture in his face at the wrong time or twists his knee at the wrong time. And um, even though that's not his fault, that's just the thing about him as a player is sometimes he gets injured. Um, and then sometimes it's been, he's not been in the best shape. And by the time you get to the fourth quarter, I'm just not worried about him because he's barely making it up and down the court. And I, I don't think he's going to be that big of a defensive presence. And it's going to take even more out of him to be an offensive presence. I've seen him labor through fourth quarters and losing efforts before. Um, less so now, but I'm very interested to see if that is something that continues to happen a little bit, um, whether that be in this series or the next one or whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think he's one of the probably is five best players in the NBA right now. He's viewed as that way, but if he's, uh, most people are saying Embiid is the MVP. Giannis is the best player. And I think that's fair um, to say that. So uh, I, I think he's really good. I think he's probably going to have a good postseason. Uh, yesterday, I don't think he gave a full effort, partially maybe because he didn't have to. There's still, I mean, like I saw, I watched LeBron James play today, and there were times where I didn't think he was giving a very good effort. It happens. Um until it really gets to like game five, game six, game seven, where you know I there's if I don't give my best effort, we might lose. 
and get eliminated from the playoffs. Sometimes that is the case. But yeah, so he has instilled a little bit of fear in me. He definitely has some of my respect, but I plan on celebrating when the Celtics beat him. Um, but they're going to have to beat him because I expect them to beat the Nets. Um, I actually weirdly think that the Nets match up amazingly with the Sixers if it weren't for the fact that Embiid existed, which is such a dumb thing to say. But I, I think the Nets on paper are such a good defensive team against almost everybody. And that's why I said I think I might have them ahead of the Hawks because their their starting lineup is really intimidating defensively unless you have to guard Embiid because they don't have anybody for somebody who's like seven feet tall or seven one or whatever he is. And particularly one that is not a string bean like we talked about with Wimbanyama. Uh, Joel Embiid is big, he is thick, and he is a presence in the post that um, somebody like Nick Claxton cannot deal with on his own. So I think it's a, a tough series for them in particular. They maybe could have gotten a game or two off of other teams. Uh, maybe it's wishful thinking. I do see some things that they could do. So I'm saying 76ers and 5 uh, I thought the Nets played fairly well yesterday. I was impressed with them. They played two or three really good quarters before that game kind of got away from them. Uh, so they might be able to pull one out, but it's probably Sixers and four or five if I'm calling it. Yeah, I've got I've got Sixers and five. I actually thought Claxton did a pretty good job on Embiid uh, yesterday. Um, but uh, but I mean, to your point, it might be because Embiid was just like, ah, this is the Nets. <laughs> like I mean, which I don't blame him too much for that. Okay, I really don't. It's yeah, really don't gonna be, it, yeah, it's really going to be the games against the Celtics that really matter. Um, you know, we're we're already penciling the Celtics in, and the Celtics, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves, the Celtics were a team looked bored yesterday too. Uh, they just kind of you know just had a nice little nice little twelve to fifteen point lead for basically the entire game, and just kind of you know kind of coasted on that, you know, and and that that's okay. Well, so, I'll, I'll interrupt you for that one. They were up 30 at halftime. It was not 12 for most of it. Okay, well, you know what I mean. I mean, look, I, look I, oh, that's what I'm saying, though. Like, they were just, no, like, yeah, that's worse. Really, they were just really kind of, kind of bored, okay? Like, it was just like, ah, uh, you know, I don't know. Who wants to shoot this next mid-range jumper? Okay, Derek White, you go for it, you know? And, I mean, just kind of like, that, that, and that's fine. You know, that's perfectly fine. You know, like, both those teams are elite, in my opinion. I think they're two of the five to seven best teams in the league. And they should be bored against those teams. And that's okay. But it is really going to be that next series that really defines where Embiid is at, in my opinion. That's that's what I was saying. We're not we're not on the Celtics yet. You can brag about the Celtics in a second. We're not yeah, on that right. yet. Yeah. Oh, but anyway, Sixers and five. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I agree. Sixers and five. Yeah, so we've been fairly in agreement on those. So we are real, real ready quick, to talk hey, about Chase, real quick. Is Bridges a star? He sure looks like it now. I mean, he he, he looked so good yesterday. Yeah, I know he he's like when he first got to Brooklyn, he was awesome. And then I think he had a few games where he took a step back and was like, okay, maybe you're not this good. Um but, yeah, I mean, playing alongside uh, Devin Booker and Chris Paul, both of them being fairly ball-dominant, certainly being alongside Booker, um, he was kind of typecast into being a 3-and-D guy, and he took umbrage with that, rightfully so, and said, I'm more than just that. And we saw that a little bit in Phoenix, but my goodness. I mean, he looked like an all-NBA player yesterday. Yeah. I wonder, like, I truly wonder if that's in his future. Like, 
if we see him on the Nets next year and he lets he gets them to be the seventh seed again, I know they weren't all that inspiring record-wise after that trade, but I, I think they have some real potential, and I think he could be in the mold of like a, a third-team All-NBA type player. Uh, he's really exciting. If I'm the Nets, gosh, I mean, what I got back for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving is really great. They're, like that, it, it's TBD to see what the the Sun side of that looks like. It looks like we already know what the Maverick side of that looks like. But I really like what the Nets got back for somebody that had to kind of tear down and rebuild. I think they really reloaded instead of rebuilt. Yeah, it it looks like it to me too. I, I really like his game. Really like how he. Uh... I approached it. Um, obviously, an extremely good defensive player, um, but I was really kind of shocked at like you know some of his moves around the basket and you know his ability to hit those pull up mid rangers has really, really been interesting. So uh, I just wanted to ask that real quick. Okay, you can go on, Chase. I'm sorry. All right, so we are ready to talk about your team, right? Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I don't know if we have some important clarity on something else involving the series yet. Um, that we'll surely talk about that here in a second. Um, but the question that I had before game one earlier today that I'm going to ask you now, are the Lakers capable of winning this series against the Grizzlies if it goes long? Or do they really need to try to win before it gets to six or seven games? Because the Grizzlies basically have 10 players in rotation right now, I believe. And the average age of those players is 24.2. Really dang young. LeBron James and Anthony Davis are both older than every one of those Grizzlies players, um, the oldest being 27-year-old Dylan Brooks. And you know he's going to make life hell on maybe both of those, but he's definitely going to try to do that on LeBron. He's going to take a lot of time guarding him, and uh, I imagine that is going to wear LeBron down over the course of the series. So what's the outlook for them, assuming the Grizzlies stay? uh, We know they don't have Steven Adams or... uh, Brandon Clark, but if they stay otherwise healthy, what's the outlook on the Lakers if the series goes six or seven? So, (laughs) well, until the John Morant thing happened, which, you know, uh, you know, until that happened and really until this game, I really thought Memphis was going to rock the Lakers. Um, I really thought, and I still think Memphis is a better team. Um, but what you had here, and I don't, it's, it's interesting. You've got some, something interesting that's cresting with the Lakers because you have, you're right. Anthony Davis and LeBron are both at this point veterans of, with particularly LeBron, you know, with a lot of mileage on them and, uh, and also both with some very troubling recent injury history. So you would want, you would want to not only just win, but win quickly. Um, I'm not totally sure that was ever possible against Memphis. Even without Ja Morant, I'm not totally sure it's possible. Memphis plays well without Ja. Um, you know, they kind of hunker down. They become a more defensive team. They don't run. Um, you know, they're they're a smart uh, – Taylor Jenkins is a smart coach. They have a lot of smart players. Um, you know, they realize they're, – they're one of those teams that are smart enough to realize that we're not elite without Ja, so we have to change how we play in order to maintain elite status. And they're very, they've been very good at that. And they've had to do it a couple times this season. Um, Jaw obviously takes them to a different level. The problem is, is that with the Lakers, all of a sudden, what you have to contend with is a bunch of guys 
who are playing way better than they actually are. So you saw like tonight with Rui Hachimura, uh, who had uh, 29 points. He was our leading scorer. And then you had uh, Austin Reeves at 23 and quarter, including really the dagger shot. I mean, there wasn't really a dagger shot, but the one that kind of like made him made everyone go, okay, they're going to win this game. Um, he had that dagger three that just, you know, really put the, you know, put the boot to the neck, so to speak uh, on this game. And, you know, those are two players that, you know, you wouldn't expect to be the, the driving forces on a team with LeBron and Anthony Davis. But I told you, Chase, I told you when, when LeBron went out was that I thought that they could, when LeBron and I said, there's, I think they're still going to make the play in because when LeBron went out, they turned into a really scrappy fun team with a bunch of players that are all three and D guys around Anthony Davis because you've got Reeves, you've got Malik Beasley, you've got, um, well, I wouldn't call D'Angelo Russell a three and D guy, maybe just a three guy. But anyway, you've got all these fun players that, you know, have irrational confidence uh, for how good they actually are around Anthony Davis, who at the time was still just dominating people. And it really does seem that now with LeBron back, you know, and them in that position, They've got a lot of weapons all of a sudden. I really, you know, Hachimura, I don't think we'll ever do this again. I could be wrong. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe he's got, maybe he just, maybe he just took the leap before our eyes. Uh, but Austin Reeves, you should not be surprised by that performance of Austin Reeves. Um, and so if he's clicking, if Russell is clicking, um, if LeBron is playing, is picking a spot, so to speak. Um, and if Anthony Davis is healthy and, you know, Davis tonight seemed more like, Way more. He ended up, I think, still ended up with like 25 points. We had the Lakers have four players with 20 points. And if that if that is going to be the normal going forward, yes, the Lakers are going to be a very hard out uh, for any. They had four players with 20. They had five with 19. Russell had 19. 19, I thought. Yeah. And that's the thing like, you know, Russell played horribly in the Minnesota game. Like he was bad. I think he was one for nine. Um, and just kind of seemed like he had no confidence, which shocked me because I felt like he would have gotten up for that game, you know, the game against the team that traded him. Uh, that, but but that's the thing. Like he went, he had a he had a bad game, and Schroeder, uh, Dennis Schroeder, had a good game. And tonight, Schroeder had kind of a middling game, not really bad, but it's kind of not really there. And Russell had a very good game. And if you, they've built a team um, that has enough weapons around LeBron where you could honestly make a case where, like, this is a team that if pieces aren't working, they've got enough pieces behind it to make things work. Of course, the big difference there is if Anthony Davis goes down, this is a completely different team because they lose the linchpin of their defense because their entire defense is geared around. The job Morant uh, injury happened. Because that was the defi- the the designed defensive play to happen, which was to get Jaw to drive at Anthony Davis. You know, go, stay on his arm. You know, he's going to beat you, but stay on his arm and guide him towards Davis. That was designed to happen, and that's how they that's that's how their defense has been all year long. I think Darvin Ham's been a weird kind of coach. I think he's been kind of learning on the fly, but he was smart enough to realize that with Davis is like, if we can just kind of create channels towards Davis, 
where he can seal off pick and rolls and where he can stop people that are, you know, that are beating up, beating our guards off the dribble because we don't have a guard that can go one-on-one if anyone off the possible exception of Austin Reeves. So if we can just kind of create channels towards Davis, we can be a decent defensive team. And Davis is a good enough defensive player that actually they've been a close to elite defensive team since the all-star break. So, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to be high on them, Case. I'm trying not to get excited. You know, I'm really not because you know I've been pessimistic about this team all year. You know, so I'm trying not to to think of them as a as a good team. But you know, I, I mean, I, I could be wrong. I don't know. Uh, you know, they, like I said, they they looked good even when Jaw was out there. I think Jaw changes things. Um, but you know, when they're playing as well as they do. When they've got enough guys that with this irrational confidence around them, um, I, I think they've got a puncher's chance of beating just about anybody. I really do. Do you think it's a big deal if it goes to seven games, or are you, is it going to be a lot uh, safer at five or six? Because I want, like, I, if I'm not mistaken, if it goes to seven games, that's going to be their third game in five days. I assume a team that's almost everybody is 25 or under literally nine of the 10 that play are 26 or younger. I think they're, I mean, they're going to be a little bit tired, but I think they're going to be ready for that game. How much, because uh, again, I thought LeBron looked maybe not tired, but certainly uh, reserving energy tonight. Um, are LeBron and Davis capable of playing a seven game series and still being that good in game seven? I mean, I think so, because here's the thing. Once again, I want LeBron reserving energy tonight. You know, I like, so, so my, the thing that worries me about LeBron. So, so do you remember? So, okay. So you remember when LeBron announced he was coming back in that Chicago Bulls game? And I told you, I said, Hey, the Bulls are about to beat us. Yep. Remember I told you that? And I was right. They beat us. And the reason was because LeBron came back and was pushing. He really was. And like, he was, he was really, you know, trying to be LeBron, trying to, you know, go coast to coast and all these things. And, you know, Tonight, you kind of saw him more in that game manager role. You know, we're like, okay, let's get Rees involved. Let's get Russell involved. Let's get Hachimura randomly involved. You know, let's 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 have this kind of, you know, game where, you know, everybody's overwhelming the Grizzlies as opposed to just me and Davis. And that, by the way, that's how they won the bubble. You know, I mean, the bubble had a bunch of, yeah, Catavius Caldwell Pope and randomly Rajon Rondo and, Dwight Howard's, you know, uh, carcass, you know, all these guys are playing really well in the bubble and it allowed LeBron and Davis to kind of coast until the heat series where they just overwhelmed the heat. Um, and so like, to me, there's a, there's, that is the, that is what you want, you know, because here's the thing, Chase, in all honesty, even if, even if they beat the Grizzlies in five, there, there's neither, neither the Kings or the Warriors, are they going to, both those, both those, they're going to lose games to both those teams. They're not beating those teams in five. So eventually you're going to have to have a situation where, you know, you're going to have a seven game series because this is not the 2001 Lakers where they're going to go, you know, 16 and one, you know, that's just not, that's just not a thing that's going to happen. So it's going to be about, you know, how can we rest these, how can we rest LeBron and Davis? Um, how can we keep them fresh for the moments we need them? How can we allow them to pick their places where they dominate? Um, you know, that that's going to be what matters. Um, and this first game was really, 
gave me a lot of hope for that. Uh, probably stupidly, but it did, you know, uh, like I said, I just, I, you know, I, I, I've, I've had, I've been really pessimistic about this team, but it does seem like there are, um, there are a lot of pieces around this, around LeBron and Davis that can really take some stress off of what they do. I mean, Vanderbilt, you know, Vanderbilt only had like four rebounds tonight, but the thing about Vanderbilt is like, he's banging all of a sudden, you know, I mean, he's the guy that's taken, you know, that that's taken a lot of the physical pressure off of Davis. So even if he's not, you know, getting the stats there, you know, he's the one that is, is, is the banger. Um, which Davis kind of needs, you know, um, because one of my fears was, you know, it's like, everybody's like, everybody said, well, Steven Adams is out. So, you know, Davis is going to, you know, just have a field day. And I'm like, Santiago Dama and Xavier Tillman are both very big guys that each have six fouls and, you know, they're, they're going to use them. And what was interesting was they didn't use them tonight. And that was one of the reasons why I think, um, I think Davis was able to do what he was able to do, uh, you know, how he's able to play the way he was. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I don't know, Chase. I, I don't know. Talk me out of the Lakers, Chase. Talk me out of them. You know, bring, bring me down easy. Well, I, I think there's plenty of reason. Like, I, I don't think that optimism is poorly founded. I think it makes sense. Um, there are some things that make a little bit less sense. I, I don't. I mean, the Lakers kind of run at a fast pace, but I'm not sure they really get out in transition all that much. Um, well, they do, though. Um, it's just not Davis that I would think, but that's kind of what I saw out of him a lot. It, like A lot of his scoring was taking advantage of a scrambling defense. I actually yeah. thought Xavier Till- Tillman played really good half-court defense on him. Uh, he, he, I thought Davis looked kind of hesitant to attack at the rim, he had, I remember one really nice move where he like backed him down and took a really tough fade away. But I, I thought Tillman played decent defense half court on him. What were you going to say? No, 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 no. I just said Tillman did play. I said Tillman did. No, I was just agreeing with you. I'm sorry. I, I, I wasn't interrupting. I was just agreeing. No, I just thought maybe you had something to add there. I got gotcha. you. Um, yeah, I thought Tillman played really well. I don't know how often uh, Davis is going to get, um, like I said, he hit a really tough turnaround at one point. He had a couple of difficult baskets, but a lot of his baskets were like pretty open dunks because I think the defense was scrambling, whether it was in transition or off of offensive rebounds or what it may have been. Uh, So they may be able to kind of tighten up what they allowed Davis to do. Um, Like we both agreed, I, although the announcers were saying this is, this was like uh, Rui Hachimura's like fifth or sixth, playoff game but he played he had like really good numbers in the one playoffs that he played with the wizards um so maybe he's just a guy that steps up in the moment he i I sent a message to you i didn't think that he was forcing things there was one play where he forced a turnaround and made it i was really impressed but otherwise uh, he was just taking all the open threes that the grizzlies gave them and i think that's an important key for the lakers because neither one of these teams are elite three-point shooting teams uh, they both teams have a couple of guys that can knock them down well, but as a whole, they're not awesome three-point shooting teams. And I think the Lakers need to make sure that they know that they should take what's given, take the open ones, but don't try to win by forcing up extra threes. You really do need to kind of put some pressure on the rim a little bit more. Um, but if you have a game where the Grizzlies say we're not going to guard Rui Hachimura because he's a twenty, I think he's like a twenty-nine percent three-point shooter. Uh, he's capable of making them, but he's not knocked down like he was today, unless that's just who he is in the playoffs. 
Uh, I, I, the thing about the the big thing with Rui tonight, you're right. The threes were big, but there was also that play where they did where they he basically they were like, "Oh crap, he's about to shoot another three and he saw it and just drove right to the basket and tomahawked on everybody. And everyone he just dunked kinda, on Jaron Jackson. Yeah, and everyone just kind of looked like, "What just? <laughs> what just happened?" Because the thing, and that's what I'm talking about with this team. Chase is like, "There's no way you're game planning for Rui Hachimura." You know what I mean? Like, there's no way right. you're game planning for that. And so, like, if that's gonna be, if, if that's gonna be a new normal going forward, I'm really confident in this Laker team. My thing, Chase, though, is. What are the odds that's a new normal? Because, like, we haven't seen Rui. Rui's been okay. I think he's like nine points a game, maybe. Like, you know, he's he's a good rebounder when he's out there. He's been okay. He's been a great, you know, eighth man off the bench. But, you know, like, if, if this is the new normal, yeah, I'm, I'm really confident. But I just don't know if it's the new normal. That That's where I'm at. Yeah, I, I think it's probably somewhere in between. I think Rui Hashimura, like you said, is a really great eighth guy. He's not a guy that you're anyone should count on to score 20, but he's capable of it. And that's, I mean, the Celtics and like really any good team, they have those players where if, whether it's just not somebody's night, if it's not AD's night or it's not LeBron's night, or if they're just trying to game plan, like we talked about, you kind of have two choices to make. Do you want to make LeBron and AD do everything, or do you want to try to take them out and make their teammates do everything? And you need to have those players that can do everything for you, like D'Angelo Russell and Reeves and Hachimura did today. Um, and then, of course, Vanderbilt didn't show that much up in the box score. But like you said, he he did a lot of the dirty work that doesn't pop up, uh, which is going to help Anthony Davis out tremendously, I think. So, yeah, there's absolutely that. Uh, Rui even like the one play where I thought he was about to go too far. He had like maybe an open three, didn't take it. He drove in, got double teamed, and it looked like he was going to do something horrendous and kind of almost did. He jumped in the air and did a 360 and somehow had a yeah. dime right to Austin Reeves who hit a three. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I, where did that come from? Like, I you know what? I promise you somewhere, somewhere there's a Wizards fan that was watching this game tonight going, this is BS because, yeah. you know, like he was, cause I remember, I mean, he was supposed to be really, really good. And maybe that's something we're seeing. Maybe, you know, sometimes with players, I mean, Lori marketing's a good example, you know, like mm-hmm. it takes players a few years to get, get their feet under them. Um, but I just, sometimes I, it's situation like the wizards have been pretty bad at drafting and sometimes it's talent evaluation. Sometimes it's player development. Sometimes it's both. Yeah, I just—I don't know. I was—I <laughs> was—I was, I was. There was a few plays I was laughing at. I was. I, I'm still kind of chuckling about him going, "What in yeah. the world?" Like you know. And I mean, like Austin, the Austin Reeves stuff. You know, like he's once again he's been. Everybody except Lakers fans have considered have you know have kind of been sleeping on him because we we know what mm. he is. Like he's been fantastic all year long. You know, uh, one of the reasons I was happy to see Russ go was so he would get more minutes. You know, um, yeah, I, I had the thought while watching him, like he is doing what you really wanted Russell Westbrook to be doing. And exactly. he's just doing a better job of it. And yeah, I mean, you're definitely more familiar with him than I am. But the thing about the Reeves game is um, you said this, the Hachimura stuff felt like this is probably not repeatable. 
Um, maybe 60% of it is, but not that exact game. The the Reeves stuff seemed like this is just what he does. Like, all yeah. of that seemed in rhythm. He got a friendly bounce or two. He maybe shot slightly better from three than you expect. But, like, if he scored 25 or 24 or whatever it was today, I'm not going to be surprised if he scores 18 the next game and 22 the next game and 28 the next game. Like, the, all of his stuff just came in rhythm. He is one of the most beloved teammates I've seen uh, the Lakers ever have. Like the team loves him, and like he's really he's really good at firing everybody up. He's really good at you know I mean just yeah you because know, I mean not not just by making shots, but like you you watch him every time like every time Russell made a shot, he was in his ear. Every time you know every time Rui made a shot, he was in his ear. You know every time uh, you know uh, you know. Uh, any anybody and anybody makes a shot like he's there like I mean he is he is a really kind of an uplifting presence and then also at sometimes we'll we'll shout I, I'm him while running down the court and that's just funny because it's Austin yeah. Reeves so you know uh, yeah but now you can tell like his Dylan, Brooks, Dylan Brooks in this game that's what he's essentially doing yeah and he I mean his teammates like you said he's kind of in their ear talking them up but uh his teammates do the same thing for him. D'Angelo Russell and everybody else seemed really excited for him to be having a good game in this game. So, yeah, I mean, all of that said, the Lakers, absolutely. There is a reason to be optimistic with them. Uh, And their path isn't that horrible, especially, I mean, they can win this series. If John Morant comes back a hundred percent healthy, his x-rays were negative. So I know he didn't break anything, but I, I don't know if he sprained something or I don't know. That just did not look like a good fall. He did not come back in the game. It was fairly late in the game, but like I would not be surprised if he misses time. But the the Lakers absolutely have a path to winning this series. And then the, the next series, assuming they do win, it's either against the Kings, who probably are coming off of a long series with the Warriors and still have virtually no playoff experience except for that series, or it's against the Warriors, who I think are coming off of a very long series with the Kings and have had a really up-and-down season and are as vulnerable as they really have been when healthy ever, period. Like, since they became this version of the Warriors, right. they've yeah. never been healthy and this vulnerable. Right. So they uh, got past the Western Finals, at least. I do want to say, I don't, you know, I, I, job, I want job back. Um, I, I really, you know, like... I love watching Jaw play, and there was part of me. I mean, I think I, I told you I wanted I wanted the Suns, I wanted the Lakers to you know win out and make it to the fifth seed, uh, you know, because like let's just do it, let's let's figure out what we are right now, you know. Um, uh, but also, I just didn't want to play Memphis because I really like Jaw, and you know, he said tonight, uh, "You're right, the X-rays came back uh, normal," but uh, he also said his his hands a ten on the pain level. And the thing about guy is chase, you know, he never shows pain and that's what bothers me. Like, you know, he doesn't, he's, he's not a wuss. I mean, he takes a lot of hits. And so for him to, you know, when he got up grimacing, like he did, you know, uh, you know, cause I went, you know, cause I was, I, I'd walked away. We were, uh, I, I'd walked away for a bit and you told me he went down. And when I came back, you know, uh, clutch points had already put the, put the play up online and when the way he just like you know yelled as soon as he hit and like just sprinted off the court, you just don't see that out of him, and that does worry me. So, um, 
you know, I really hope he comes back hundred percent. Um, because I, you know, I just, I don't know. I just, I root for Ja. I know he's, I know he's kind of a bit much, but I do root for him. And, uh, you know, I, I and so, uh, but, uh, bottom line, healthy or not, you know, I don't, I don't know if even healthy, it would have changed that much just because of how up the Lakers were. Um, you know, I mean, I don't think the Lakers were won by 16, like they did, or was it 14, 16 or 14, no, it doesn't matter, but like, no, they won by double digits, but, um, it seems like the game was really trending in their favor and, you know, everybody was just really, really hyped to play. So Chase, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say Lakers and six. I'm going to do it. I'm, I, I really, I thought Memphis was going to rock them, but uh, even with Ja healthy, I don't know, man, if, if they're going to play like this, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm I, I might be falling for their tricks. You know, I have fallen for their tricks before. Uh, but I'm gonna say Lakers and six, man. That's what I'm saying right now. What 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 you got? Yeah. Well, I'll point out like it was a very close game. I agree that it was trending towards probably the Lakers winning. But um, when Jaw went out, there were six, uh, five six minutes left, and it was a four point game. Like that game was absolutely still in doubt when yeah. he went out. And you you mentioned it. They have uh, now a two year history of playing okay to what very well without John Morant, but uh, I think that was just a momentum killer. That really took out, like, all the wind in their sails. It very audibly took out the wind in the fan sails. Like, that building was not the same after he went down and did not come back, and the Lakers really just entirely had their way. I mean, after that play, it was goodness. And less than six minutes, it was 23-11 to 11 after that play. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I it, it's going to depend on the Morant thing. If Morant uh, does not play at all, I think it might be Lakers in five. Um, if Morant comes back and he's 100% healthy, I, I think I'm going to lean Grizzlies in seven, but I don't think that's the case. So my actual pick is going to be Lakers in six. Uh, I definitely think if I'm putting odds on it, period, the Lakers are the favorite moving forward with that win. Um, I think it could still be a tough series, but yeah, I agree with you. I think the Lakers are going to win. I'm going to have the same pick as you, Lakers in six. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad glad we agree on that one. I think we're about to agree on the next one too. It's funny. So I, I, I'm actually changing my question because I swear to you, because I'd already <laughs> previewed my question with you. I swear my question was going to be, you know, how dangerous will the Celtics be if they can get to the Eastern Conference Finals in nine games? Because I do think, I think, I think they're really a whole lot better than Philadelphia is. And I think they match up really well with Philadelphia. So I'm going to change. I'm changing my question. I'm changing it. Okay. You can still answer that one, but I don't want people thinking I'm copying off of you. Okay. It's very important for me to have a reputation, an upstanding reputation. Okay. So so I'm changing my question. Okay. Because I think this is a good one too. Mm -hmm. Who's your third guy? Because like last year, last year, clearly like smart, was the third guy and he's been kind of down this year and i want to i just want to know who you think because i think there's a lot of answers to that question and i want to know who do you think is going to be the third guy to step up for the celtics sure uh the beautiful thing about the celtics is that i don't think there is an answer like that's not a cop-out i think it is going to change by game it's certainly going to change by opponent uh there is not a clear third guy and, and I mean, in the same way that there are nights and even 
full-on playoff series where Jalen Brown's better than Jason Tatum. Like, right. There are times where Tatum's the two, Brown's the one. So, yeah, there's not a definitive three. But the beautiful thing is there one, two, three, three or four probably, what, out four or five people I really could say are the three. And so that means one or two of them might come off the bench. Um, it certainly was Derek White in game one. Um, I think more than likely the the closest thing to an answer right now, based on how everybody looks, is Derek White. Um, it's just really cool because I think Derek White is the type of player that every NBA team needs. I think Marcus Smart is a player that every NBA team could use. I think Malcolm Brogdon is a player that literally every NBA team could use. You could slot all three of them in on any team, and they would immediately be better. And the Celtics have all three of them. They're not identical players, but they're really similar. They do a lot of the same things. Um, they all have like a large range of defensive versatility. They can all hit threes. They all play make very well. Um Last year, you saw there were multiple Derek White games. Derek White had a really good game or two against the Bucks. He had, I think he kind of struggled against the Nets, maybe had one game against them, um, had a game or two against the Heat, had at least one awesome game against the Warriors. Um, but there, it, he was very inconsistent. And I don't know if it was because he came in at the trade deadline and hadn't been with the team the entire year. Um, I don't know if he just had some confidence issues. Uh, because it did seem like if he made his first three, he was going to do a little bit better that day. And if he missed his first three or his first couple, uh, that he was in for kind of a longer day. But he's started several games for them this year. I think he's more or less entrenched in the starting lineup unless they decide that they want to start Robert Williams, which maybe in some series they will. Um, but him getting all of the reps with the team, he has been absurdly consistent he's better he's more consistent hitting his threes he's driving with a lot more confidence making the right read um, not making mistakes he doesn't turn it all over all that much and again he is so good defensively and that's a really nice thing to have of if you have to put Tatum on somebody to stop them because I think he probably Tatum and Robert Williams are their two best defensive players however you want to split it uh, it's definitely not smart this year, unfortunately, as good as he is. And it's still been pretty good. But you have all of these people that you can throw at. So we talk about how much effort you have to put in to be good on both ends of the floor. And Tatum and Brown still do that. But they're afforded easier assignments because Derek White can guard the hell out of these guys. And, and Smart can do a really good job. And Brogdon does a good job. And Horford takes the big assignments. And Robert Williams does a lot of work. Um this team is so well-rounded. Uh, Robert Williams, I think, is another one of those um, after White, especially defensively, that is going to be – he could be that third guy because he can come in and have 14 points on seven shots, and he can have six blocks and two steals and uh, make another good plays. He really he, – he's the guy that they kind of need in certain series to protect the rim. Um and then after that, I mean, you know, Smart can be the guy. Brogdon can be the guy every now and then. Horford, probably a role player. He's probably never going to be the three, but he's, like, always going to be the four or the five. He's been pretty consistent for them, too. Uh, I mean, that's some of my Celtics love. Uh, but Derek White is arguably the third best player on the team right now as a whole. Uh, you didn't you – didn't, 
Did you mention Peyton Pritchard? You know I have infinite love for Peyton Pritchard. He is the best 11th or 12th best player in the NBA. I don't think there I, I really don't think there's any arguing that. Yeah. He, he came in and had a 30-point triple-double in the last game of the season, and it's not a fluke. Like, he is that good. He is occasionally a defensive liability. Um, he didn't play a minute against the Hawks. Uh, neither did Grant Williams. Uh, that was a little bit interesting to me, but I could sense Grant Williams kind of losing the trust of Z- Joe Missoula. It, it hurts me to know that it seems like Pritchard has at least halfway lost that trust. And part of it is that the the Celtics just have an embarrassment of riches in what they have. I mean, as much as I love Peyton Pritchard, I, I'm one of the biggest Peyton Pritchard fans on the planet. I can't argue that he's anything better than our like 11th best player. Um, so I wish he would get more minutes, but if you're playing an eight man rotation, there's just no room for Pritchard in there, but he he's amazing. I have a feeling he's probably going to leave. Um, the Celtics kind of shopped him a little bit. I don't know what they're going to be able to get for him. It, I, I want him to stay on the Celtics for several reasons, but he is just a luxury that goes unused sometimes. But yes, I love him. <laughs> he could be the third best player on a few of these teams, to be honest. It's just not for the Celtics. <laughs> He is a yeah he's he's a he's a guy that I always I, I'll be honest I keep up with him just because of you I want to see what his uh, stats are you know because I know he's kind of your uh, kind of your boy um, you know I I don't really have much to add to the Celtics you know I've been high on them all year long um, I think even though they're the number two team I do not understand why everyone is just like so sold on the Bucks when they're right there, and they've been the, um, I mean they they've embarrassed the Bucks twice, you know, and really kind of three times because anytime you you do as well against them as you do without you know your three best players, uh, that's saying something. And uh, I just I don't know, Chase. I feel like I, I'm 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 basically penciling them in, into the finals, and I don't want to jinx you. Um, but I, I really just don't, I, I don't see a team beating them four out of seven. Um, they just have too many weapons. I think Tatum's just too good. I think, you know, I think Brown's too good of a second, second guy. I agree with you that, you know, Brown is such a good second guy that on several, on several games, he looks like the best guy. And that's the exact type of person you want in that situation. Um, so I don't know, man, I'd. I think they're about as complete a team as that's in the in the playoffs right now, and I'd I'd take them over just about anybody. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm excited for them. Um, they, uh, I'm certainly not writing them in pen um, in anything beyond the first round because they they don't have the easiest path after this series. But um, I, I'm very optimistic. I think they're awesome. They for sure. I'm not going to uh, allow any arguments that say they're not the deepest and most well-rounded team. Um, really, the only thing that can stop them is if they run into somebody like a Giannis or even theoretically an Embiid, who is just the best player on by enough of a margin that that one player can outperform the opposing team. Do you think uh, you brought up Robert Williams? He's been, he hasn't played much at all this year. Do you think he plays just about every game in the playoffs? I know um, we'll see. I mean, last year he 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 wasn't healthy. He had some like real knee problems, but he was able to manage the pain and play through a lot. I don't 
think he missed any finals games, but he missed games in all of the previous series. Each of the first three rounds, he missed games. Um, he was huge against the Heat. Like, uh, the games where he played, Bam really struggled. And that, like, Robert Williams, as good as he is, I don't normally see him as somebody who locks an individual down. Uh, one of the beautiful things about how the Celtics have used him the last couple of years is that they'll stick him on the worst offensive player on the opposing team and let him just shut everybody down. It's like, I don't have to worry about this guy. I get to roam and help out everybody else. Uh, and that's where you see, like, he gets a lot of highlight plays, a lot of really nice blocks because he gets to lurk. Uh, and, and I don't see him take these matchups very often where it's him against somebody. Like, I, I don't think he would be the guy that they stick on and beat. I would actually be really scared of that um, between his health and um, really just how that, I think, might work out. I think they'd want somebody like Horford on Embiid, but they would have Robert Williams helping there. Um but we know he, he made life really miserable for Bam. And the games he didn't play, Bam played very well and helped win games for them. So, yeah, I I would love for him to be healthy enough to play every game. My inclination would be uh, in some of these series, he's probably going to sit out every other game, especially if you're playing every other day. So right now, like, they uh, they played on Saturday their second game is on Tuesday, so he gets two days of rest. I assume he'll play that. Um, and then their third game is on Friday, so he gets two more days of rest. I think he'll play that. It's some of those where they're playing Monday and Wednesday or something like that where he might sit out Wednesday, I think. But maybe he'll play them all. I'm not sure. I, all I know is I want him healthy so that he can play every game in the finals if they get there. Well, um, all right. Well, I mean, I think that... Uh... That kind of uh, wraps us up. I, I want to do one one more quick thing, okay? All right, yeah. give me your so final. final what do you picks. have? Uh, Hawks Celtics? Is that Celtics and four? Oh, I'm Celtics, sorry. Hawks, Hawks. Celtics and four. I'm sorry. My bad. Uh, I mean, I just kind of assumed people. Yeah, thought. I've got Celtics and four too. I'm going to be pretty upset, like somewhat upset if it's Celtics and five, and I'll be beyond pissed if it's more than that. Um, for I mean, the Celtics are just uniquely. There is nowhere that you can hide Trey Young. So if you have anybody, that same thing we talked about with Grayson Allen, there's nowhere you can hide Grayson Allen. Uh, they, everybody on the court, I mean, you can't stick those two guys on Al Horford or Robert Williams because they're too big. And everybody else is just too good with the ball. They're either going to score or they're going to find open people. Um, and then not only that, they cannot hide Trey Young, but they barely have anybody to guard one of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they do not have enough people to guard both. I mean, DeAndre Hunter is a good defender. I don't think he's quite what, uh, I mean, I think the Hawks are happy with how he's developed as a defender, but he's not like an all NBA, all defense type of guy at this point in his career. So the best thing you can do is throw a good defender on one of them. And really the rest of, you're not going to throw Capella on him. So the rest of their team is below average defenders or DeJounte Murray, who's a good defender, but he's too short for them. Uh, I mean, they just have all sorts of defensive problems. There, there's no way that they're going to shut the Celtics down on that end of the court. They're going to have to go supernova on offense to have any chance to win any of these. And the Celtics sure as heck better know that last year, it looked like they ran out of gas in the finals. They need to win every series as quickly as they can to have the best chance moving forward. So, yeah. I'm desperately hoping for Celtics and four, but I also think that's what happens. Well, I, um, 
Yeah, I I think uh, I think that's probably probably what's going to happen. And uh, I'm going to end with this case. Um, we've talked about a lot of things. Give me your finals pick. Who, who the two two teams in the finals and who wins it? I'm a, I'm a so I'm, spot. Uh, yeah, no problem. I haven't gone super in detail to individual series past the first round other than the Celtics, but um, the East, I think, is a little bit easier than the West because, like I said, the West, it's at least six teams I could see getting out of it. Probably not the Clippers, but um, they would have been there if there was Paul George, but there are six other teams I think could do it. And then the East, it's like kind of two. You could argue three or four, but more than likely, I think it's the Celtics or the Bucks. I think, assuming that is the Eastern Conference Finals, um, which is not a foregone conclusion, but reasonably likely, perhaps. Um, I, I think that's going to be a really tough series. Um, I've already changed my pick on that before. I have picked the Bucks at one point, but um, I don't know if it's the Giannis injury that is just a little bit of a question mark. Uh, I think part of it, honestly, was us talking about Grayson Allen. Uh, I think... I, my pick is the Celtics. I think it's a tough thing for them to get, but I think they're coming out of the East. The West is so open. I, I don't feel good about a single thing. There's literally not a team in the West that I feel great about. There, if So I, I picked the Warriors to beat the Kings, and if they get past the Kings, I, I kind of think they have a good shot of making it again, uh, which feels awful to say because I really don't have uh, a high degree of faith in them beating the Kings. But I, I think right now, hesitantly, if I'm making a bracket, I'm going to have the Celtics against the Warriors, and hopefully the Celtics can get some revenge on last year. Well, I've got um, – I mean, I said at the beginning of the year, I think – I think I said at the beginning of the year, Celtics and Nuggets, and I'm just – I think I'm going to stick with that. Um, I don't really trust the Nuggets, but the problem is I don't really trust any of the teams in the West. Um, you know, I think the Suns have a very good shot – I think that'd be an interesting story with Kevin Durant. Um, and I think that'd be a fun series. But uh, I think it's probably going to, for me, I think Celtics Nuggets is, is where I'm where I'm trending. And probably with the Celtics winning it, dude. Uh, so, uh, you know, that that's I think that's where we're heading. Um, I will say this tonight. This, uh, this Clippers-Suns game is, is a banger. Uh, I don't know if you've been keeping up with it or not, but it is a banger as we're, as we're speaking. So... Yeah, I think Eric no. Gordon just drilled in a banger. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know, man. Uh, it, it's going to be an, it's going to be a fun, uh, fun playoffs. I think, and I think there's going to there's a lot of lot of things to watch. And uh, you know, maybe uh, after night, maybe uh, before the finals, we'll get together again and, and talk about that finals. Yeah, uh, unless you know, unless the Celtics don't make it, and you're too depressed to talk about the finals. I mean, and, and I would get that. I would understand that. But uh, <laughs> but I I I, I think uh, I think we should do that. You down to do that? Of course I am. Yeah. Even if the Celtics don't make it, I'm sure I will be down. And that's often how I am with sports, particularly when Kentucky loses in the tournament. I do kind of lose interest in the rest of the tournament. But it is a little bit different in the NBA because I feel like I know every NBA team at least a little bit. So right. I, I'm intrigued. Whereas in the NCAA tournament, when my team's gone, I don't really care about anybody else. Um, so, yeah, I, I am down to do that. I'm good to go ahead and commit to another podcast if and when the time is right for that. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching the rest of these playoffs. I think some of these Eastern Conference first-round games 
are not very interesting and maybe a series or two in the West, same thing, but my goodness, most of the series now are already fun. And I think all of them after the first round should be awesome. Yeah. I think they're all going to be, I think they're, they're going to see some really good basketball and, and maybe some, some middling basketball too, but mostly really good basketball. Um, all right, Chase, it was a blast talking with you. And, uh, I, I think we need to get off here and watch into this, uh, Clipper Sun game because it's going down to the wire. That is correct. It's been great talking basketball with you again as well. Well, as always, man, uh, you know, uh, stay, uh, you know, everybody listening, watch some NBA, have a good time with it. Um, and as always, like, as we like to say on Phantom Correspondence, you know, Phantom is for everyone. Uh, and uh, thank you for listening tonight and have a good evening. Have a good evening.